Welcome in. Episode 37 of Four Score the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Dufre with you. Uh, doing a little bit different tonight. Recording on a Tuesday. Usually record on Wednesdays, but we moved it up a day with Thanksgiving right around the corner coming up on Thursday. So still a lot of stuff to break down. Uh, Giants obviously had a bye week this week. So they were able to rest up and get right for a game against the Bengals uh, this coming week. And Rob and I spoke about how that's a very winnable game for the Giants. And now with the injury of Joe Burrow tearing his ACL and MCL, he's out for the year. So it looks as if Ryan Finley is going to be the starting quarterback for Cincinnati moving forward. So that comes into a a surefire win, I would think, for the Giants in a game that they got to capitalize on. Uh, to move up in the standings. So we'll talk about the Giants and the outlook going forward. The Jets fall to 0-10. Not going to spend a, a ton of time on them. because It's just, you know, same nonsense on a week-to-week basis. I'm sure even Jets fans who listen to the podcast are even tired of hearing about it at this point. We just want to tank for Trevor and, and get it over with. Um, news in the Mets world, Sandy Alderson held a press conference yesterday. He announced that he is going to be uh, kind of taking over the title of president of baseball operations. The Mets had a search. Um, and Rob and I thought that that search would have been done by now and they would have hired somebody, but a lot of the candidates they were looking into uh, are currently under contract with other teams, and the Mets really weren't granted permission to interview a lot of people. Uh, So instead of wasting a ton of time on that, they're shifting their focus towards just the GM search, and Sandy Alderson is going to be a lot more involved in baseball operations than uh, he or the public originally anticipated. So uh, we'll see how that goes, and once the Mets hire a GM, I'm I'm sure then they can really – uh, hit the ground running in terms of acquiring some talent in the offseason. But I, I did want to start off with the Knicks tonight. And I thought it was appropriate to start with the Knicks just because last time we recorded, it was while the NBA draft was going on. Uh, and so we gave our knee-jerk reactions to the selection of Obi Toppin. And when you give a knee-jerk reaction to something, Rob, it's just completely off the cuff. It's just what you're thinking in the moment. And a, a lot of times when you're when you're, you know, doing something behind a microphone, that's a lot of a time you're, you're making analysis or you're coming up with opinions off the cuff. But I, I just think it's fair to kind of come back on here a week later after we fully digested a week's worth of Knicks news, uh, watching how the rest of the draft unfolded and how free agency has unfolded thus far. And, and I just thought it was appropriate to come back on here and just give you my thoughts of that pick now that I've sat down and really thought about it for a week. Now, I was against it. I I didn't think it was the greatest pick in the world, and I gave a bunch of reasons for that. Number one, I thought the Knicks needed a a point guard or at least someone who's going to be a little bit more ball dominant, uh, someone who can really run the offense uh, or someone you can run the offense through. Now, Obi Toppin, I I stated my hesitancy towards selecting him because of the fact that he comes from a program where he stayed there for four years at Dayton. He's 22 years old. Um, And from all scouting reports you read, he needs a very, very good point guard in order to exploit his strengths to the fullest. And the Knicks don't have that right now. So, And especially with Tyrese Halliburton still on the board, who I thought was the surefire selection for the Knicks, and and them passing up on him and going with Toppin. I really wasn't a fan of the pick at first. Um, But I've kind of wavered on that a little bit, and here's why. Number one, he's an extremely dynamic player. Okay, just because I didn't like him as much as Halliburton does not mean I I don't think that he's a dynamic player. He is from everything you hear from everybody who speaks. It seems like Obi Toppin was number one on the Knicks draft board. And I've said this before about the Giants and Daniel Jones. So it would be unfair of me to have a different opinion. Now, if you have your eyes on a guy 
and you believe from day one that this is the guy you want to select, this is the guy that fits within your system, this is the guy that you want to kind of start building a team around, then you select him no matter what pick you have. And I got on Dave Gettleman at first for drafting Daniel Jones at number six because I thought that he might be available at number 17. But after thinking about that pick, I came to the same conclusion. You know what? If you think this kid is the future of your franchise and he's the franchise quarterback and he's going to be a building block for success moving forward, you select him. doesn't matter if it's with the first pick, the 200th pick, does not matter. So I'm going to give the Knicks the benefit of the doubt and say that. If they truly believe that Obi Toppin is the guy that's going to be used as a catalyst to turn things around, then you select him no matter what number pick you have. Okay? Even if there's more talented guys, guys with a higher ceiling still on the board, you select Toppin. Now, Obi Toppin has had media availability. He's talked on some radio shows. He was actually on the Michael K. show this afternoon. He's a, he's a New York kid, and he is absolutely ecstatic to be a Nick. Now, I know some people are going to say, well, I want to see the kid play. If he's not any good, what difference does that make? And I certainly get that. But with a franchise that it's been an absolute dumpster fire for the past 25 years, Rob, I think there's some stock in someone dying to be a New York Nick. I really do. With this franchise being as piss poor as it's been for the last 25 years, to have someone who was in tears because of how happy they were to be a New York Nick, I think there's some stock in that. Now, I said before that the scouting reports say that Toppin needs a really good point guard to be able to really have him produce to the fullest. Now, who's going to play point guard for the Knicks? Alfred Payton? Is it going to be Frank Nilakina? Do they give Dennis Smith Jr. another kick at the can? Do they run Austin Rivers at the point guard now that they signed Austin Rivers to a one-year deal? You know, that stuff remains to be seen. But I, I do think now a trade for a guy like Russell Westbrook does make sense. And you have to remember, the Knicks are still about $10 million off the salary cap floor. So the whole money discussion needs to be thrown out the window. They have to spend more money in compliance with the rules of the NBA. Now, they don't need to spend the money that Russell Westbrook makes per year, obviously, but they do need to spend a little bit more money. And if you're not using money on anything else, I think you could bring a guy in like Westbrook because, you know, it's a never-ending cycle with the Knicks, right? They can't get the big star to come here until they start winning. And they can't seem to win without the big star. So there, there's there's one thing or, or two things that you can do. One, you can either start drafting well, which they haven't done, or two, you can either make a trade for a big star, which they haven't done either. So if you do two of those things in the same offseason, all of a sudden you get a Knicks team that's unwatchable to now maybe being a 7 or 8 seed in the East. Now, will they get bounced by the Nets in the first round? Probably. They're not going to go on a run or anything. They're not that talented. But I think making a trade for a guy like Westbrook really does make a little bit of sense now for the Knicks. And there's still a lot of moves to be made. So even though I was overly critical with my knee-jerk reaction of Obi Toppin, I've grown to accept it a little bit more. And I'll say this one last thing before I hand it off to you, Rob. Tyrese Halliburton, who I thought was the pick, by the way, there were 11 other teams that passed on him. He didn't go t until number 12 to the Kings. So the Knicks weren't the only one that overlooked him and were looking at a different sort of player. So I can't just sit here and rag on the Knicks for passing on him when 11 other teams did as well. So you live with the pick. You wait until the season starts. As I said in the last episode, Rob, there's not a lot of time to really – sit back and relax you know Toppin gets drafted camp opens up in about three weeks so he doesn't have too much time before he puts on the Knicks threads and really starts getting to work so we'll be able to see this pick come to fruition in the next couple of weeks next month or two and we'll finally be able to see him put on a uniform and play for the New York Knicks and you're hoping desperately that they hit on this pick because the past couple picks Nilakina, Knox, 
You haven't seen anything. They've been extremely underwhelming. You're hoping the tide turns now with a new regime in here and that Obi Toppin can be what the Knicks front office envisions him to be. Well, look, all right, there's a lot to decipher here. All right, so first, <clears throat> you know, nobody knows what these kids are going to turn out to be. Nobody. Scouts have but nobody knows. Look, you have generational talents, you could say, um, that, that come out of college that you know are going to be surefire uh, superstars. Um, as far as, you know, Obi Toppin or, or, and where you picked him, you know, 17 teams passed on Donovan Mitchell. Seven teams passed on, you know, Steph Curry. Well, I mean, back to your Halliburton point, I should say. You know, so, you know, 14 teams passed on Bam Adebayo, who just got a, a max contract extension today for Miami. You know, a, a lot of it is, 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 is a work ethic that these kids have to have when they come to the, to, the, to, the, to the bright lights, you know, of the NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, whatever it may be, whatever major sport. It's their work ethic that's going to determine whether or not, you know, they're going to be a very good player or just a fringe player. Um, as far as Obi Toppin and his tears of joy uh, on draft night, well, let's see what happens in two, three years from now when those tears might be tears of misery from playing with the Knicks over these next two, three years. Let's see how he reacts then. I mean, of course, the kid's going to be happy. He's a New York kid. He got drafted by the New York Knicks. He was a New York fan growing up. Uh, but, you know, again, that's right now. You know, let's see what happens a year or two from now where frustration sets in when you're not right, winning but, games. But the, the reason why I say there's some stock in that is because what's been the discussion on the football side of things? You know, maybe Trevor Lawrence is going to stay in college for another year because he doesn't even want to come here. So I think taking the Knicks for what they've been for the past 15 years and seeing a kid cry tears of joy because he was drafted by that team, that's why I think you have to take a little bit of stock in that. Because uh, this kid look, that, I, I, that gets overstated. There's a lot of kids that cry in any sport that gets drafted. They, you know, a lot of kids cry. They're just happy just to make it. You don't know what their upbringing was. They might have come from, you know, from, from, uh, from tougher upbringings than others. And, you know, just to make it to this point, maybe some of them never thought they'd make it to this point. So... There's, there's so many different reasons why these kids cry. But, you know, listen, good for the kid. He got drafted, got drafted by, uh, you know, his hometown team that he loved and he grew up, you know, loving. Uh, so, you know, good for him. But, again, let's see what happens. And I've read the same things that you read. Uh, you know, he, he does need a point guard. He's a pick-and-roll player. So, and with a pick-and-roll player, you need a good point guard. Now, the guy that Nick should have brought in, and I didn't agree with it, but that's the guy that they probably should have brought in, would have been Chris Paul. If they really wanted him, I don't know if they really wanted him, but I'm going to tell you something right now. I do not want Russell Westbrook on this team. I told you that last week and I'll state it again. And I don't think the Knicks do either. I think the Knicks want to keep their cap flexibility and have that in hand right now, because I don't think that Russell Westbrook even makes Obi Toppin a better player. Because to me, he's not a true point guard. He's the type of guy that needs the ball in his hands himself, uh, Russell Westbrook. And I don't think he'd be able to play that type of game with an Obi Toppin, who is a freakish athlete. But look, you know, the over-under on the Knicks uh, for, for this season is 22 and a half. And I think, uh, I think the under is probably the bet there because I don't see the Knicks winning anything more than 15 to 17 games right now with this roster. Now, the Knicks are, uh, from what I understand, they're $7 million to the cap floor that they need to spend. So uh, that's the last that I had read. 
they have uh, about $18 million in cap space for a trade. Now, look, maybe there's a team out there looking to try and get rid of a contract of a point guard, maybe. You know, the, the, a lot of things didn't work out for them. They couldn't even bring in a DJ Augustine at this point. Gordon Hayward got a ridiculous deal for Michael Jordan and the Charlotte Hornets. Four years, $120 million was insane. And think about it, Andrew. This kid made $300 million in his career. He signed $300 million in contracts, Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I mean, that was just a ridiculous contract. That's one the Knicks had to avoid. And I'll tell you, one thing that the Knicks did do, <coughs> excuse me, that the Knicks did do is they didn't do anything stupid. They didn't overreact to anything. And it could have been overreactions. I'd rather see them keep their cap space. They're not, they're not winning a championship this year anyway. They're probably not winning one next year either. So you know what? Keep the cap space right now and see what you could bring in with that cap space and try and accumulate assets. And they've done that. They made that They made that trade with Ed Dave, for Ed Davis. They got two second-round picks. Then they flipped them to, what was it, Minnesota, where they got Omari Spellman and another body. Omari Spellman being a good three-point shooter. They got two more second-round picks. So now the Knicks have four second-round picks in the 2023 draft, which is pretty good because that is the year that the – High school, uh, high school kids will be eligible uh, for the draft at that point. So, look, you got to start somewhere. And, it, you know, the Knicks have to start at the bottom of the barrel here. So I, I'd rather see them keep the cap flexibility. I don't need to see them bring in Russell Westbrook. Look, they, they're a 21 team without Russell Westbrook. With him, what are they, 25, 26, 27? And I, you know, Russell Westbrook is not going to be a 20-win difference in this team at this point with this roster. That's not happening. That is not happening. They, they don't have enough on this team, even to support Russell Westbrook. And if I'm Russell Westbrook, why in the hell would you want to come here? You know, why would you want to come here? I mean, does, you know, you want to. Does he have a no trade? I don't think I doubt if he does. I don't know. But, you know, you're leaving the Rockets where at least, you know, you make the playoffs. You, if James Harden stays, you're going to win 45, 50 games. You can compete. Why in the hell would you want to come to the Knicks? It doesn't make sense. I could understand maybe wanting to go to the Sixes. At least they have some talent there. But to come to the Knicks and you're, you're trying to seek out a championship, this is not anywhere close to being a championship roster. Now, look, the Knicks need to get lucky here in the lottery next year because the Knicks will be in the lottery. From from all accounts, everything you read, Hey Cunningham, the point guard out of Oklahoma State, is a can't-miss kid. They say this. This is what they say. They're usually right on – Right on with, you know, with, with talent evaluators, you're usually right on with these kids coming out of college. So, so Cade Cunningham looks like he'd be the kid next year, and he's a point guard, which the Knicks could use, obviously. So, again, you know what? Just go through this season. It's going to be another shortened season again, you know, and hopefully your coach could, could help kids like uh, R.J. Barrett and especially Kevin Knox, you know, uh, um, learn the game a little bit more, give them some more experience, give them some more playing time. Uh, teach him the fundamentals of the game, and hopefully he helps out, especially a kid like Kevin Knox, because really the Knicks have no small forward on their roster. There's no small forward there at all. So Kevin Knox would have to be the guy right now at this point. But give him a chance to play. See what he could do, Knox. He's only 21 years old, and you see what the Knicks are doing, Andrew. They're bringing in all these Kentucky kids. It's the University of Knicks right now with the Kentucky kids. Uh, you know, there's four of them on the rosters, and they brought in Kenny Payne as an assistant coach there as well. So – you know, they took Emmanuel quickly, which was a little bit of a controversial pick because most scouts and talent ev evaluators that I read the next day didn't have had that kid ranked in the 40s. 
Yeah. You know, obviously Calipari, Calipari loved him and waxed poetic about the kid and couldn't say enough about him. But, of course, he coached he the said, kid. He said that about uh, Kevin Knox, too. Right. Of course, yeah. He <laughs> said that about Kevin Knox, yeah. So, you know, look, who's to say? We don't know. We don't know where these kids are gonna where these kids are gonna be. But again, Kevin Knox is young, and maybe with with a with Thibodeau, maybe gets the best out of the kid. Maybe he gets all that talent out that they showed at Kentucky. So we'll see what happens. But you know, look again. I'll reiterate, reiterate it. Westbrook is not the answer here. Just keep the cap flexibility and be smart. We uh, look. Uh, are, are any superstars coming here? They haven't proven that they wanted to come here. I tell you that, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, and most people blame, I guess, Jim Dolan. The guy's willing to put out the money, but I guess, uh, you know, just y- y- you see some of the stories with him around there, and particularly, you know, the bad look with Charles Oakley that time did not sit well with a lot of uh, veteran players out there. So, but, you know, there's a lot of guys that he did take, he, he has taken care of, but guys like Alan Houston and John Starks and, uh, Latrell Sprewell came back into the fold and guys like that. So, you know, I don't know. I, I just I, think, I think in my opinion, I know that you're not going to win a championship with Russell Westbrook. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure the exact win total increase that you have by, by bringing a guy like Russell Westbrook on the team. But to me, you know, even though I just said that I warmed up a little bit with the OB top and pick, you know, I, I just, I don't think that, He's a franchise changer. And I've stated before that big men, historically speaking, over the past you know five or six years with the way the game is headed, the only generational big men, like game-changing big men, are the ones that are taken in the first two picks, right? Toppin sat there until eight. And with well, the that's game not the way this game is played headed, anymore. It's well, not the right, way this game is not- played anymore anyway. You know, the big man is really been eliminated from the, from this game for the most part. If right. you got to shoot threes in this league, you know that. That's shoot. it. You need someone who can score, right? Yeah, that's it. And, and my feeling is just the Knicks have been in, in this constant flux of ineptitude. And I'm not saying, um, believe me, I'm not saying that bringing Russell Westbrook here is all of a sudden going to flip a switch and make superstars going to want to come here because, quite frankly, I, I really don't think that superstars want to play with Russell Westbrook. I mean— I don't know. It's not really being reported to the fullest, but I, I think that the most likely scenario is probably that Westbrook and Harden were both kind of button heads a little bit because they're both very ball dominant and it just didn't work out. So I'm not saying bringing Westbrook here is automatically going to make the Knicks a destination for people to kind of want to come play with them. But I do think that you, you don't change a culture of ineptitude until you start proving that you're not inept, right? And you prove that you're not inept by starting to win games and, and becoming a watchable basketball team. And even if superstars don't want to come play with Westbrook specifically, I think it at least wipes away a little bit of the stench of the Knicks being an absolute clown show of a franchise by bringing someone like Russell Westbrook here. Because they will win more games. And they probably will be in contention to sneak into a playoff spot. What happens in the playoffs once they get that spot? Who knows? Who cares? Because they're not winning a championship, right? Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Start winning games at a certain point to to rid yourself of that constant look of of ineptitude. I got to ask you a question. Who did the Nets have on their roster that looked anything like a superstar type player when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving decided to join up with Brooklyn? Because as Kevin Kevin Durant said, the Nets were the cool team. Who who did the Nets have? No, they they didn't have anyone, but. That exactly. Team was a lot better than the Knicks. It was uh, exactly. a lot better but, than the Knicks. So how how about this? 
How about for any Nick fan out there, including myself, we give these young kids a chance and see how they can develop this year. Let's see what R.J. Barrett, because kids have proven nothing yet. They haven't been given a chance. R.J. Barrett was his first year. Kevin Knox last year was his second year. Let's see what Mitchell Robinson, let's see what he can do. Let's just see what they could do. If they suck, they suck. But if they develop into something, all of a sudden, the Knicks look like the cool team. They look like the end team. If Robinson and Knox and Barrett and those kids could develop into something, all of a sudden now, the way the Nets got developed was the same exact way. They they drafted young kids and they developed them, whether it be a Spencer Dinwiddie or Karis LeVert or whoever it may be. And then they sprinkle in a Joe Harris or a Torian Prince and whatever they have there. That's the way, that's how they developed. You know, Kenny Anik Atkinson did a very good job as much as he got hired. He did a great job developing these guys. Let's give Thibodeau the same chance before we just overreact because these kids haven't had a chance to develop yet. They just haven't had a chance. They're young yeah, but kids. This is this is not like other sports, though, Rob. This this is the NBA, and if you have players that are building blocks, you you see something right away. Now, right now, it looks like Karis Levert is a budding superstar, and he didn't look like that when he first came into the league. Right. But he looked like a really good player. He looked he like a really injury, good player. He was an injury-prone kid in college. You know, right. he he was an injury. What was he at Michigan? He was an injury-prone kid. Right. So but let's, what I'm, my, my main my main point is these guys on the Knicks have not shown you any flashes of anything. I mean, Kevin Knox. Yeah, but Frank we haven't given him a chance yet. Let's give him a but chance. How how long of a chance you get? Franklin Lakina has been in the league for three years. How much of a chance are you going to give him? Give, Kevin Knox give, for two, and he's averaging six points a game. How much of a chance do you give someone like that? Let's give him a chance under a, under a professional coach. Who did they have under him? David Fisdale, who was hired only because of his relationship with all the all the in players. Well, you see where that got the Knicks. Has David Fisdale been hired again? No, he got fired twice now. So let's give these kids a chance to develop with a real coach, with a coach that is known for developing players. Let's see what he could do and give these kids a chance. Again, you know, two or three years in the league doesn't mean they have to be superstars right away. And it doesn't mean they're going to be superstars. Just turn them into very good, capable players. That's all you're looking to do. Put a system in place that's going to allow that talent to flourish. And let's see what happens from there before we all overreact and just take, take R.J. Parrott, Barrett and Kevin Knox and Mitchell Robinson and decide, hey, you know what? These guys aren't good anymore. They've been in the league two, three years. We haven't seen nothing from them. Let's see what happens. This is, you know, Kevin Knox was drafted. He was 20 years old. Nicolina was drafted out of France. You know, it's a whole different ball game. We all know that right now. We know that. Okay. Well, so let's look, give him a chance. Be honest, though. I mean, Luka Doncic came into the league when he was 19 years old. So the whole international thing, that's irrelevant. That's irrelevant. Well, I mean, again, you, you, if the you, kid has it, he has it. All right. You're you're right. And I'm not saying that Nicolina even has it, but I'm not even saying he's going to be, he's not going to be a great player. We could see that, but can he be a capable player that, that can play some minutes in this league in a rotation, you know, an eight to nine man rotation, whatever Thibodeau uses. And for the most part, he always used an eight man rotation. So let, let's see if, if, if at least, some talents of this kid can come out. Let's just give him a chance still. You never know. You never know. Again, I'm not expecting them to be superstars. But just be good enough to where all of a sudden some good free agent players out there that are very good all of a sudden start looking at the, at the Knicks and say, hey, 
they got a nice young team here. If I go to that team, man, that team, you know, I can make this team that much better. You know, that team can go from a 30-win team to a 40-45 win team. You know, if me and one other guy come over with him. You know, that, that's how it works. These guys all get together and talk. You see that. I mean, come on. We all know that. So let's let's give the Knicks a chance to develop these young guys and see what happens. And if by the end of the year, the end of the season, we see no development with them, then fine. Then we know the answers. But if we see something, all right, that looks good going into next season. Yeah, Nobody knows what you're going to get out of these kids. Uh, you know, the same thing with quarterbacks in NFL. You know, everybody's rushed to judgment on these kids. And everybody right away is 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 anointing uh, you know somebody a superstar right away if they play great their first eight games. All we heard about was Gardner Gardner Minshew Minshew mania. He played eight games. He was what happened to Gardner Minshew now? Besides the fact that he's hurt, he stunk. We see it all the time. There's overreactions to this stuff. Let it play out. We got to let it play out. Let, let's see let's see what he can get out of these guys too. But we have to give him a chance to coach this team. We have to no, because you, it's just a different voice. To me, to me, David Fisdale was never a coach. David Fisdale was a clown. He was a clown. He was somebody that was there because they thought he was going to be able to recruit some superstar players as free agents. And obviously he couldn't do that. So that was not happening. So there was no sort of coaching going on. Prior to that, we had the Jeff Hornacek's of the world and the Derek Fishes. When the hell did we have a, a professional coach here? A guy that we could say, like a Thibodeau. That that has had success in this league. Let's see. Let's give him a chance. Let's just give him a chance. And much like the Giants this year, all they want to see is progress from the Knicks. That's it. Just show me progress. Show me R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, uh, Mitchell Robinson. Show me some development. That's what we need to see as Knicks fans. Make it a little exciting and say, hey, you know what? They had a good season this year, right? Maybe only won 25 games, but you know what? I'm seeing progress. I'm looking forward to next season now with a good draft. And maybe they get lucky finally in, in, in the in a draft, and they can draft a Cade Cunningham, and that can change the whole dynamic of their, fran- of their franchise. Andrew, look what Trey Young did for the Hawks. Look what he's done. Yeah, but, I mean, the Hawks were still a 25-win team. Right, but look what Trey Young has done for them. He, he, he's put them on the map at least. Now they're, they're making other moves. You have a John Collins there. They have other moves now that they've made around it. You can see Trey Young, how good of a team. Look at uh, John Morant, another kid. You know, look, that's all it takes is to get a kid like that. Just get a kid like that. Well, so it, bu- it builds that, a little that was, excitement. That's kind of why I was, I was hard on the OB Toppin pick at first. Because of the fact that you have a league that's dominated by shooting and scoring and dominating the ball. And that's not what Obi Toppin is going to bring to the table. No, but it also wasn't this draft, Andrew. The draft was a bad draft, and everybody said it. This Next year is supposed to be a stronger draft. This year's draft was weak. You could see it. There was so many. I think I mentioned it too last week. The same guy you took at 10, you could take at 20. It, yeah. it seemed like from everything you read, that. right? Everything you read, that's the way it seemed like it went. The, the number, the I'll tell you, I'll put it this way: Anthony Edwards, the number one pick, probably would have got taken around eighteen in last year's draft. I'll put it that way. Okay, and now again, look at the way Donovan, Donovan Mitchell got drafted eighteen. Look how he's developed. He's a superstar. Superstar. Eighteen, eighteen pick. You know what? A few years ago, when Donovan Mitchell got drafted, we were saying the same thing about him. But you're 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 using a word that's not applicable developing he didn't develop into anything he put on the jazz uniform and he was as good as he is now 
Okay, but then why did 17 teams pass on him? Well, that's a conversation for another day, but the development no, but part there's of it a reason. Is, there's a reason for it. There's a reason for it. What, did 17, 17 different franchises missed out on Donovan Mitchell's talent? That happens in every sport. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying. You know, right, I'm just bringing but, up a point. No, no, no. It happens. But, but that's two different conversations. You're talking about talent evaluation, and then you're talking about player development. No, there but what I'm no trying to say with Obi Toppin, what I'm trying to say with Obi. He the league, and he was great. Right, but what? Yeah, but all of a sudden, did anybody expect him to be this great? If, if they did, why didn't seventeen teams? Why did seventeen teams pass on him? That's the point. Why would they but pass on him? So but again, that's a, but that's a different conversation. What I'm bringing up is that you keep preaching development, 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 and what I'm saying is that in a superstar-driven league, there is no such thing as development. I mean, these guys come into the league and they show you what they have right away. These days of waiting for guys like Kevin Knox and R.J. Barrett and and Nilikina, these guys to develop, 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 and that's why you're just waiting and you're in the same predicament year after yeah, year but, after uh, year. Now, to your point, the Knicks haven't done anything stupid this year, no, and that's a step in the right direction. But I can't see you actually having confidence that the trajectory of the franchise is going to be changed when you're not drafting these guys. Look, you I, need to I, be able to draft someone who's going to come in right away and show you that they have potential to be a superstar. There is not one person on this Knicks roster has that has shown you an inkling of that. Yeah, but they haven't had a chance. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. Give RJ Barrett a chance. He played one year in the league. You got to They're playing with garbage. There's nothing around them. The, you know, R.J. Barrett, Kevin Knox, all these guys, they need a point guard. What point guard have the Knicks had? This, this is a point guard-driven league. The Knicks haven't had a point guard. They still don't have a point guard. So, you know, you, you, you got to give them a chance. They, 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 they have nothing around them. Listen, it's the old adage. When you play with shit, you are shit. So, look, just give them a chance. Let's see what Thibodeau could do. They still don't have a point guard on this on their roster. Let's hope that maybe somehow in the next couple of weeks, maybe somebody's looking to clear some cap space and somebody that's better than Alfred Payton, who really is just a journeyman type point guard, a guy to just to hold the fort down for you know twelve to fourteen minutes a game. Maybe there's something else out there. But I'll tell you right now, and again, not that I wanted him here because I wanted the cap flexibility, but put Chris Paul on this team, and then you see how these kids can flourish. And see what happens when they're put in a position to succeed by a professional point guard who's also a coach on, on the court as well. Well, that's why I was a proponent of bringing him in from the beginning, because that's a player who legitimately makes guys around him better. And you bring in a guy like Chris Paul, who superstars would want to play with because of the fact that he's a guy who distributes the ball. He's not a ball-dominant point guard in the sense that he needs the ball in his hands for 24 seconds to be able to create something. He's a guy that dishes the ball around and makes the guys around him better. And that's the type of player that I think tr changes the the imagery surrounding this franchise because it's well, surrounded by ineptitude. That was a move point anyway because Paul didn't want to come here and he, and he, and he stated the fact that they weren't going to have any fans at the Garden. That was his reasoning. He didn't want to come here anyway, so it was a moot point. So the Knicks were out on that, and no fault of their own. They just were out on it. This this was not a place that Paul wanted to play. What are you going to do? I mean, you know, just nothing you could do about that. You move on. But, again, let's just see. Let's just give it a chance. Hey, look, how do we know that Obi Toppin might not be a superstar in the next couple of years if they get a really good bona fide point guard in here? It could be. We could be having a whole totally different conversation. But again, none of us know where these kids' talent levels are at. We don't know, you know, what what their what their floor and what their ceilings are yet. I still want to give these kids a chance. Mitchell Robinson was a, was a second round pick, you know, it was a kid that didn't even play college college basketball. You know, Kevin Knox played one year at Kentucky. 
because that's what Kentucky does. It's one year and out. Play one year there. You know, so R.J. Barrett coming into that last uh, two years ago was considered he was better than Zion Williamson. He was a consensus number one player in, in, in the United States in college at Duke. So, you know, I mean, just give him a chance. What did I say, well, Duke? Yeah, Duke. I'll, I'll say one thing for sure, and we're going to continue to do this podcast. I'm sure the Knicks will be a primary talking point moving forward, and I think, honestly, uh, for good or bad, I think the fact that Brooklyn is going to be in the championship mix puts the Knicks under an even tougher microscope this season because of the fact that a team in their, in, in the same city is going to be competing for a championship. I think the the shortcomings of the Knicks will be magnified even more. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they, so. I, I, I don't I agree do. with that. Well, I mean, here you, you, not that they, they were always compared with the Nets, but basketball, basketball in general, you know, it's just always a Knicks town and we always talk about that. But the fact that basketball was horrendous for a good number of years in both Brooklyn and when they were in New Jersey and they were pitiful too. You know, the Knicks dominated the discussion, but there was always hope of them turning it around. Now with Brooklyn, and not that there's not hope that the Knicks can turn things around, but now that Brooklyn is going to be in the mix for a championship, I just think that that people are going to be looking at looking at the Knicks a little bit tougher now to to try to aspire to be like the other team that's in the city that's actually competing for something. Not that they have to do it the same way and follow that same kind of blueprint. And you know, obviously they kind of lucked into KD and Kyrie, but. You know, I, I just think having another team in this town that's going to be competing for a championship is going to kind of put a kind of make the Knicks a little bit of a poster child to try to be able to build some success because you see it done with the other team. You want the Knicks to do it because you realize how, how much buzz will be in the city if the Knicks do do it. Yeah, I, look, everybody's known the Knicks have sucked for, for quite a long time now. So, you know, we, we've all seen that. So and, and the bottom line is if the Knicks – you know, the Knicks are winning 18, 20 games a season. There's 18,000 people at the Garden. If the Nets win 18, 20 games a season, there's 18 people at the Barclays Center. That's what it comes down to. And the fact that more likely than not, we're not, we're we're not going to have fans in any of the arenas, probably for most of the season, kind of gives it another different optic because you're not going to show that the Barclays Center is sold out. The Nets are the in team. The only thing you're going to hear about the Nets is whatever you read or hear. And that's it. Right. You know, you're not going to see that optic on TV where you're going to see, you know, the 16,000, 17,000 people at the Barclays Center. So you're not going to see it. So it's a different well, here's, optic. But- here's an example. Do, do you think, and I, this is an honest, honest question. I'm curious as to what you think. Do you think the ineptitude of the New York Mets would be such a hot discussion if it wasn't for the fact that the Yankees were competing for a championship almost every season? Well, like if look, the Yankees were just a run-in-the-mill team, do you think the ineptitude of the Mets would be talked about as much? You, you can't say the Mets are, in, are an ineptitude. They had ineptitude ownership. But let's not forget, the Mets were in the World Series in 2015. They were there in 2016 for a wild card playoff game. They, they, you know, they were in competition to make a wild card or a playoff run for a couple of more of those years. So, you know, the, the Mets are not nearly, not nearly as inept as, as the Knicks are. At least the, the Mets give you some moments. So, um but as far as that's concerned, look, the Yankees are the Yankees. They're the pinnacle in probably, you know, all the ma- not probably just all the major league baseball, but in any sport. You know, you got a team winning 27 championships. You're never going to compete against that. But, you know, the, when the Mets are winning, the, the Mets, you know, they have a fan base. There's a fan base. 
Now, you could see it now just with new ownership, the fan base coming out. You're on Twitter. You read it. Read all the articles, you know, in, in, in the daily newspapers or just around the country. The Mets are like the in-team now. you got guys now having their agents call up the Mets, calling up Sandy Alters, get me to this team. You know, it, it, that's what happens. All of a sudden, there's a buzz around the Mets now, and you'll start seeing it. Now, will they take the city completely away from the Yankees? No, no. But the Mets will have a dynamic here. You know, they, they go out and make a splash, and they go bring in Lindor and bring in Bauer. All of a sudden, now you're making a splash, and if, you know, they happen to, you know, turn around and sign DJ LeMahieu away from the Yankees, that'll be even a bigger splash. But, you know, so the Mets will have their fan base, and they're going to have a dynamic here in the city, as well as the Yankees always will, because it's the Yankees. You know, let's face it, the Yankees are in the playoffs every single year. But the problem with the Yankees, though, Andrew, is that the, the fans are spoiled. And the problem with the Yankees is it's World Series a bust for the Yankees. So even getting like, you know, next year, let's say we get to the NL Championship Series or even get to a World Series that we lose. All right. Yeah, we're going to be heartbroken and disappointed. But we'll say, OK, next year we're going to be back there. We're going to come back again and we're going to get to the NL Championship Series, win that. Or we're going to get to the World Series and win that. With the Yankee fan, it's every year. It's all right. We got to win our 90, 95 games and we got to win the World Series. And if they don't, it's a failure. Now, we could only hope to get to that one day, you know, but that's what's being fun about a Met fan is that, hey, listen, when we get these moments, we appreciate them because they're few and far between. Uh, far between. But like I told you last week, Andrew, the gauntlet's thrown down now. There's no excuses anymore for the Mets. No, no, there's not. And, and, you know, now that I brought up the Mets, we're gonna we'll, we'll shift over to them. Um, and I mentioned when we opened up the episode that Sandy Alderson held a press conference with the media yesterday, and he said that um, he, although he didn't say it in these words, I'm paraphrasing. He essentially said that he's pretty much taking over the position of president of baseball operations, and, and he's going to oversee all that stuff. Uh, there were a number of names that were thrown out there. Um, you know, we heard that Mike Chernoff from the Cleveland Indians was a, was a leading candidate, and I don't even think that he actually interviewed. There were conflicting reports. Uh, a lot of guys that they sought permission to interview, they, they were not granted the permission. I think they looked into Chris Antonetti from the Indians as well. They weren't given permission. They asked for David Stearns from the Milwaukee Brewers, weren't given permission. Um, so instead of wasting um, precious time on that, they realized that it was probably just the, the, the best decision to just hire a general manager, have Sandy oversee it, and then when we return to more normalcy in 2021, I guess to have a more thorough search for that. So Sandy's going to be at the helm. Uh, they're looking for a general manager now. Sandy said that they have interviewed about a half dozen candidates already. Uh, they still have more people that they have already lined up interviews for. Uh, and again, paraphrasing from Sandy, it sounds like this is going to bleed into at least the first week of December, which is next week. Uh, they'll have some callback interviews with, Steve Cohen being involved with those interviews with the general manager. And as soon as they hire one, then I think, like I said before, they can hit the ground running and look at free agency uh, and look at start adding players, whether it be from free agency or trade. Um, Buster Olney from ESPN did write an article. He reported earlier that the, the Mets from executives he's talked to around the league and from sources close to him, he says that the Mets are in on multiple big name free agents. They don't just, just want one. Uh, they want a few of them. So there's Trevor Bauer, who we've spoken about being a good fit. There's George Springer. There's DJ LeMayhew. There's Lindor available in a trade. 
So we see ultimately what type of approach they take. But listen, Sandy has been around this game for a long time. Sandy has been around this team when they have been at their highs recently, being in the World Series in 2015, being a wild card team in 2016. He knows what it takes to win in this city. And now with the new ownership, having deeper pockets, having the advantage of not accruing those losses with the pandemic last season, I think Sandy is in a really unique situation here, having the insight and knowing what it takes to win in this town, but to actually you know, have a passenger seat, per se, and, and, and pick a right GM to kind of lead this ship. I think it's an exciting time. I think they're headed in the right direction. Who they end up signing remains to be seen. How many games they win remains to be seen. But, you know, it's funny. I sent this to you. Someone tweeted this out yesterday, Robin. I thought it was just so appropriate. For the first time ever, the Mets were holding a press conference, and you did not have a pit in your stomach just thinking the absolute worst. Normally when the Mets hold a press conference, you're thinking to yourself, okay, who got hurt? Who got suspended? Who got arrested? Who's out for the rest of the season? You know, that that's what you were trained to think as a Mets fan. I mean, the most recent press conferences that we had, or the most recent times we've heard from Brody Van Wagner calling a press conference, it was, uh, you went to Cespedes breaking his ankles on his ranch. It was, you went to Cespedes, you know, they didn't know where the hell he was. Remember that in Atlanta this year? They, he wasn't in the hotel room. He never reported to the ballpark. You know, these are the kind of things that we saw over and over again. And they're handling things the right way from a PR perspective. They're getting the attention of other agents around the game. They're getting the attention of other players around the game. And I think that this is, this is again, we, we haven't seen them on the field play yet, but this is these are steps in the right direction to be able to achieve some level of sustained success here in New York. And there's a blueprint to follow, and they're starting to follow it. Yeah, well, uh, there was a free agent signing today is that maybe we'll start seeing some movement as Charlie Morton took a one-year $15 million deal from the Braves, which kind of makes sense because Morton, after getting uh, um, designated for assignment by the Rays and getting released, Wanted to stay close to home. His family lives in Florida. So that destination makes sense. 38 years old. He, look, he didn't have great numbers last year in the regular season, but in the postseason, he pitched very well. And he's he's done that, you know, time and time again with the Astros as well. So as well as with Tampa. So that was a good signing for the Braves, actually. And, you know, I guess somebody that the Mets wanted to be on, but I don't think the Mets could have got in on in on him because from all accounts, everything you heard was that Morton wanted to be as close to Florida as possible. So, um, you know, that's neither here nor there. Now, as far as Alderson, you know, he did make the announcement that Louis Rojas will be back in 2021. That's no secret. You know, they, they were pretty much saying that all along without just finalizing it. So he finalized it the other day. Well, uh, pretty much had what he said conference. in his, his initial press conference, he basically said that he yeah. was leaving the door open simply right. because he wanted the president of baseball operations that they brought in to at least right. have a, a seat at the table of that discussion. Right. And now that Sandy himself is going to be the president, there is no discussion to be but had. But, you know, it all makes sense. And I got to credit, credit Craig Carton uh, a week and a half ago. He said it. He did call it. He goes, Sandy Otis is going to he's going to give the job to himself. Why wouldn't he? He's just as, as, as experienced as any guy that he might want to hire. So why wouldn't he do the job? He's going to, and he called it. I got to give him credit. He called it and he was adamant about it. Adamant. Yeah. So and, that was a and good- Mike Vaccaro, Mike Vaccaro did ask him during the press conference if his health was good. Sandy said he feels fine. There's yeah. no health issues. So there's no reason why he couldn't be look, involved. There's in no reason why he couldn't do it. If you look at it, you know, now this is, this is the way I'm looking at things right now. 
So they interviewed Michael Hill, who was very well qualified, came coming out of the Marlin organization. They tried to interview David Stearns from the Milwaukee Brewers, but they got turned down for that because the problem is all these guys they wanted to interview, they were lateral moves. They were parallel moves. They weren't moves where guys, you know, normally if, if a guy is going to be elevated, going to another organization, the other team will give them permission to speak because that's just like a gentleman's agreement that you do for, for, for somebody in your organization. For a, yeah, for a promotion. Right, for a promotion. These were not promotions. These were parallel type of moves that they were going to make. So that's where the Mets ran into the roadblock. But the way I look at it is I think they got an understanding that Theo Epstein is going to sit out for that one year. And then I think next year you're going to see your president of uh, baseball operations is going to be Theo Epstein with maybe even a small percentage of the team being given to him by Cone. It might even go unreported at the time. You'll see Alderson not step down, but he'll probably take, uh, you know, or whatever, president of the New York Mets or whatever it may be. He'll take another title, and you'll see Theo Epstein in charge over there next year. That's the way I look at it because I think the Mets probably said, hey, look, you know, let's just not settle for anybody here. We're going to get somebody. Let's get to be the best. So they weren't going to settle for anything less. So in the meantime, Sandy Alderson could do the job here. You know, I have all the confidence in Sandy Alderson. You know, you just look at some of the some of the uh, some of the young players that we've developed that are on the field for us now, all drafted by Sandy. He also made the trade for Jonas Cespedes back in 2015. That kind of gave us the charge to go to the World Series. But although before that it was Carlos Gomez, but that was a failed trade because Gomez did fail his physical and went into the whole Wilma Flores crying thing and everything else. But he did wind up with Cespedes on his roster. So all this, and you know, he's. Got years and years of experience in doing this. You look what he does, did with those A's teams. And anybody that doesn't think that Sandy Olsen doesn't want to spend money, you're out of your mind because he spent a hell of a lot of the money with that A's team back in the day with Ken Seiko and Ricky Henderson and yeah. McGuire and the all those guys. They had the highest payroll in baseball at that time with Sandy Olsen in charge. So Sandy Olsen wants to spend money. So don't worry about that. And Steve Cohen's willing to sign the checks for him. So, you know, it, it's just a matter of now how they put things together. Now you see now the Tampa Rays look like they want to put Blake Snell on the block. And look, it, his value is unreal because he's got another three years at $13 million a year. But you would have to give up way too much to bring in Blake Snell. You know so what I, don't I think, think happens? I, and this hasn't been reported, but this is just my feeling. I think the Tampa Bay Rays are doing an incredible PR job, okay? I think what happened is Blake Snell requested a trade after the way that his pitching situation right. was handled in the World Series, and right. they're trying to keep it under wraps so that they can have leverage in a trade. Sure. I, that's what I think happened. Yeah, that, that's – I could agree with you there. It's a good point. Yeah, I could agree with you there. It'll take a lot for a team to, to get it from the Rays, and if you look at the Rays, you know, you think about it, the last time they traded a, a an ace starting pitcher, you know, at a young age was Chris Archer. Look how that deal worked out for them. Right. Look where right. Archer's Archer's <laughs> gone, and look what Austin Meadows and Kyle Glasnow has done for the for the race. It's funny. So, Michael K said today. He said, you know, I wonder if any of these teams are are going to be hesitant to make a deal with the Rays because they you know, it always seems like the Rays come out on top in any any type of trade they made. You know. Like, because even if the, it's guys completely under the radar that you don't really think are major league contributors and they want them, I'd be hesitant to give them up because there's a reason why the Rays want them. <laughs> because if your phone rings and it's a, and it's the Rays management calling you saying, hey, listen, we're putting Snell on the block. You guys interested? You, the first thing you're thinking to yourself is, why the hell are they putting him on the block? Mm, they know something to Rays. 
They always know something. Right. They're always one and two steps ahead of everybody else. So that's what you have to watch. But I tell you, you know, Snell would be a hell of an addition here, but it would take a lot to get him because he's under control for three years at $30 million a year. That is a bargain for a kid that's pretty much a 1A starting pitcher. Right. You know, he's a 1A starting pitcher. So, and, you know, you, you, you go and you go sign Trevor Bauer, and it's going to cost you probably five or six years at $25 million a year. So that's a big difference. But, you know, the whole thing with the Mets, if they go after a Blake Snell, the assets you would use to get Snell, then you could basically count out Lindor. So, yeah, and, and I ultimately think that that Lindor is 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 the play if you're going to make a trade. I really think. Because I think you're going to have to give up less. And you have the financial no. flexibility to be able to go out and, and get a starter. You know, there's uh, multiple uh, starters. And it's not just, not just Bauer. Even if you miss out on Bauer, you could bring in a guy like Jake Odorizzi. You could bring in a guy like Tanaka, although I don't think he's a fit for this team. You could bring in a guy like Taiwan Walker. There's guys out there that are available that you could bring well, in to shore up the back end of yeah, the rotation. That's the back end. The Mets need somebody behind the ground because you're, you you can almost bank on getting nothing out of Syndergaard next year because you got to figure by the time he's ready to pitch is June, July. He's he, he's probably he's going to be in a strict, strict innings limit, especially after what happened with Matt Harvey that time. He's going to be on a strict innings limit, so you basically can almost wash away the 2021 season with him. You know, I, I don't care what he's doing with his shirt off, showing you his Instagram, uh, you know, pitching with his shirt off, throwing fastballs, uh, whatever. Well, I you know, you, I, could, I, you, could, you can if you miss out on Bauer, I think you hope that Stroman could be that guy. I don't think he I, is. I don't have I don't have confidence in Stroman. I, I don't mind Stroman as my third or fourth starter. I have no problem with Peterson, but you put Bauer there and all of a sudden the complexion at a rotation takes a takes a turn for the better. You know, you know who so, would be a really good fit in this rotation, Rob? Zach Wheeler. Yeah, yeah. Well <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I that mean, was, we've listen, had this conversation before. Look, but. if Steve Cohn was the owner last year, he would have never walked out the door. He would have never walked out the door. No, so, no, and not only did he walk out the door, he walked out the door to sign with a division rival. Yeah. Which would never, ever, never happen. No, nope. never. never. Yep. Which is ultimately yep. the reason why I think that DJ LeMahieu is going to end up back on the Yankees. I, I do not think that as much as Hal Steinbrenner is spending all this money and the Yankees are not winning World Series championships and they seem to be falling short, I still don't think that he lets him walk out the door to go to someone like the Mets. Or if he doesn't go to the Mets, it seems like the Blue Jays are the top team that are interested. He's not going to let LeMahieu walk out he, that door. He's not going. He's not going. He, and and he's not going to the Blue Jays anyway. He, he's not going there, LeMahieu. He, he's not going there. Look, he's you know, going to get an offer from the Yankees. And, you know, the, the Mets could – listen, the Mets could put the screws to the Yankees if they want. You know, they could basically offer him whatever they want to offer him and – Put the screws to the Yankees. Look, the Yankees have a decision to make, though, because they got other guys that have come up that they have to sign. And we've discussed this before. Gleyber Torres being one of them. Uh, um, Aaron Judge being another one of them. You know, they got some decisions they have to make here. They have decisions with their pitching staff. You know, it's not a matter of just signing DJ Lemieux. Because let me tell you something. Their starting staff is in trouble after Gary Cole. You know, you can't rely on Severino. Domingo Herman, again, we discussed this before. You don't know what you're going to get out of him, even if the Yankees want to bring him back. And they might run, might not want to bring him back. Who knows what Debbie Garcia, Clark Schmidt. Like we discussed this before. When the Yankees have, when have they developed a pitcher? Yeah, but think How about be this. Confident? Think about this. Had the Yankees done what they should have done in game two of the series against the Rays, 
and they would have just started Davey Garcia instead of doing the, the stupid stuff where they had him pitch an inning and use him as an opener and brought in Jay Happ. I'm not saying that Davey Garcia would have shut down the Rays by any stretch, but I think you would at least have a little bit more clarity on the pitching situation this season if you just let Davey Garcia pitch in that game. Now it's just a bunch of question marks because you didn't let him pitch. Yeah, but you, you think no that one start would have made a do. difference in... In a big moment against the division yeah, rival in an ALCS, I think absolutely I it would have made a big difference. Uh, maybe. Listen, I might have said, okay, maybe the kid can handle the spotlight, but it doesn't guarantee that next year all of a sudden the kid's going to be, he's going to be your number two starter. That doesn't guarantee anything. He could have just had a good day that day in a playoff game. That could have happened. So you know, the bottom line is if they had that much confidence in the kid and the kid was as good as they say he is, then they would have left him in. How about let's let's look at it that way? That's a good point. That's a good you point. Know? Uh, but, but was it, yeah. was it, you know, I still, I still kind of, I struggle with that a little bit. I just, I, I don't know. It was it them not trusting him, or was it just the Yankees front office trying to be too cute because they were playing against the Rays and they would try to outsmart them? You know what? What was it? I think you had a little bit of both. I think you had a little bit of both there. I think you had a little bit of both because if you could trust a kid and you trust his talent, you know, you, you leave him in the game. You leave him in. And like I said, I just, I just think ultimately, you know, is he going to be a top-flight pitcher? Who knows, right? But I just think if you let him pitch that game, it at least gives you some clarity. Because if he goes out there and he shuts down the Rays, you're at least hopeful that he could be a dependable option. If he went out there and he went to bed, then I think you have a little bit more clarity in terms of saying, okay, we need to go out and sign ourselves a starting pitcher because we're in trouble. Now you're just kind of caught in, in, in the middle of saying, you know, uh, what do we have in Davey Garcia? What do we have in Clark Schmidt? What do we have in Domingo Herman? Well, I, just, you, you would have to hope you would have to hope they've seen that in their development in the minor leagues. You would have to hope they've seen something. But again, it doesn't translate that to the major leagues. There's no guarantee in that. But you'd have to hope they've seen something in them in the minors that it would have to think, look, the Yankees blow a lot of smoke up every, everybody's ass. You know, they, they pretend like they got, you know, all, all this pitching, you know, oh, we'll be fine. Debbie Garcia, Clark Schmidt, but push comes to shove. The Yankees will make a move. And whether maybe they sign, they re-sign Tanaka. Or maybe they sign a, a Jake Odorosi to go with, you know, Severino and, and Garrett Cole in a rotation. You know, maybe they do. But look, the bottom line is they need some help in a rotation. And that's the bottom line. Yeah, and, I think that they're probably more likely to bring back Paxton just because I think that Tanaka will probably end up getting a multi-year deal. I don't see Paxton getting anything other than a cheap one-year contract, and I think the Yankees would be willing to take a flyer on bringing Paxton back, maybe a one-year $8 million contract or something like that. I yeah. think the Yankees would be willing to do that. You know, Buster Olney is, is saying that he expects Tanaka, although the money, he does not know what range the money is going to be, he said he expects Tanaka to get about a three-year deal on the open market. That I don't wow. think the Yankees would be willing to do. I tell you, I got to disagree with Buster Olney. I think Tanaka gets a one-year deal. Really? I really do. I, I, don't think, I don't think he gets anything more than that. First of all, he's, still, you know, he's been pitching with that partial UCL tear for years. Oh, so yeah. that's yeah, also, you know, he's got a lot of mileage on his arms. And, you know, look, his regular seasons haven't been great the last couple of years. He gives you some innings. You know, he, he, he battles. Um, he, he's been good in the playoffs. Not great lately in the playoffs. He hasn't been good. But, for, you know, for the most part, his, you know, his career, he's been very good. But... I don't, I don't see Tanaka get anything more than a one-year deal, Andrew. I really don't. And I think he gets it from the Yankees. I think he comes back from the Yankees. I think he comes back to the Yankees. I really do. I think they take him back before they take Paxson back, to be honest with you. Even if Paxson— Because you, know, you never know what you're getting out of Paxson. 
you never know what you're getting out of Paxton. At least with Tanaka, you know what you're getting out of him for, for the most part, especially now. But, but that's my point, though, is someone where you, you know what you're getting out of them, I think, would be able to command multi-years on the market. That, that's, that's my feeling. Someone like Paxton would not be able to command the kind of years and, and long-term security because of the fact that you have no idea if he's even going to be able to take them out. Well, the problem with Tanaka, you're going to give him three years at, say, what, 12 million a year? You know, with, 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 the, with, with the financial losses these teams are taking, I don't think anybody wants to take that chance on, on Tanaka. What is he? What is Tanaka now? 34, 35? What is he? Is he 34, 35, Tanaka? That's a good question. I don't know. Right? I, I, I can't see anybody taking, you know, taking Tanaka when, you know, he, he's been showing the last couple of years that, you know, he's not the same pitcher and, you know, he's not going to just turn it around all of a sudden. Tanaka's 32. 32, all right, so 32 years old. So you're going to give him a three-year deal at that point? Again, a lot of mileage on his arm. I just don't see it. I could be wrong. But, you know, and it, look, if, if this was a different market without the pandemic and with fans being in the stands and everything else and Tanaka's out there, I could see somebody giving him a, a two-year, maybe with a third-year option or maybe a two-year with incentive clauses kicks in a third year. I could see that. But in this day and age now with what's going on here, can't see him more than a one year, and I think he does return to the Yankees because I think he needs the Yankees, and I think the Yankees kind of need him. You know, put him at the back end of your rotation, and if you have to slot in Debbie Garcia and see what he could do, then so be it. Let the chips fall where they may. But you know, they got a big decision with Lemieux, and it depends upon what they're going to pay him because I've said a million times, you got other guys on his team you need to pay. So, and then we have the the non-tenders coming up December second, which is going to be big. And the Yankees have a decision with Gary Sanchez there. Uh, so this is this is actually interesting. I'm glad you brought that up. So, um, again, I heard this on the Michael K. show before. They had a Yankees hot stove show last night on Yes. And um, Aaron Boone was on doing an interview. And when I tell you wax poetic. Oh, Jesus. You don't, you don't, don't, know, wax po- you don't know wax poetic. They want to trade him. (laughs) You heard what Aaron Boone said about Gary Sanchez last night. He bent over backwards. He went as far as to say that the media has been overstating Gary Sanchez's struggles. That's how talented this guy is. Oh, God, please stop. Yeah. So, and Michael Kay turns around and says, "We're, we're overstating it. He said, you played seven playoff games. You sat him on the bench in four of those seven games. There's no bigger insult to a player than sitting them down in, a, in an elimination right. game. And that's what right. you did. You didn't even trust this guy enough to put him in a lineup. And you're saying that right. the media is overstating his struggles? Are you kidding? That's Moronic. terrible. You know, I, I, listen, I understand you want to try and trade him. But look, everybody has the book on Gary Sanchez. And if they're going to trade Gary Sanchez, you're getting probably a mid-level prospect at best back for him. That's all you're getting because the Yankees have a decision to make. Do they non-tender him or they're going to have to offer him arbitration? That's the bottom line. And with the way the arbitration system works is even though he played like crap, he's still going to get a raise. He's going to get a raise. He's going to get a raise. And the Yankees don't want to pay him. Somewhere between six and seven million dollars in arbitration. And and, 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 it comes down to a dollar amount. You know, if you're not comfortable giving DJ LeMahieu uh, the five years at twenty two million dollars or whatever it ends up being. You know, I think your financial flexibility becomes a little bit better if you if you non-tender an, an offer to to Sanchez. I think you're able to to, to make that LeMahieu contract work. But then again, that opens up a hole in catching. I mean, you, Kyle Higashioka is not an everyday catcher. No. So there's a decision to make. And also, I think the Yankees are thinking of this too, Rob. You've seen this with these guys before. 
you know, one guy in particular I think of, perfect example, I think is Michael Franco with the Philadelphia Phillies. I mean, he came up, and right off the right off the bat when he came up, he was tearing the cover off the ball, and he showed a lot of promise. And then he consistently got worse and worse and worse until it got to the point where he was a liability and the Phillies could not play him anymore. And what, what ended up happening? They non-tender a contract to him. And where does he end up going? He goes to a team like Kansas City, right? Small market, no expectations for the team to succeed. It's an easy, easy destination for him to try to fix himself. And what did he do? I mean, he was a 280 hitter last year. He kind of rediscovered what made him a pretty good ball player. Oh, I'm sorry. He he was even, you know, yeah, 280 at a 330 on base percentage last season. He turned back into a pretty good player. And I think the Yankees are a little, a little timid that maybe Gary Sanchez, if they non-tender an offer to him, he'll go to a small market team like a Kansas City or a Cincinnati, and he'll end up hitting 35 home runs and hitting 270, knocking in 85 runs, and the Yankees will will have egg on their face at the end of the day. I think they're a little well, scared of that. At that at that point, you just cut your losses and say, so be it. Whatever happens, happens. You know, if, if he all of a sudden becomes the guy we always thought he Here's the problem. They were afraid he'd go to the Mets with Graham. <laughs> that's well, what they're what, afraid here's, of here's what i would say though i mean you're afraid that maybe he finds another team or the red sox you know somebody in their to, division he's able to rediscover himself and, and you have egg on your face but this this would be my retort i mean as currently constituted he is a liability so you're gonna hold on to him and have him be a liability for your franchise because you're scared of him being an asset to another franchise that's just not the way you do business no not in this day and age, and especially if the Yankees want to get under that luxury tax threshold uh, that they keep talking about over the last year and a half. So, you know, again, there's decisions to be made and there's going to be money to be spent for the Yankees because, you know, Aaron Judge is going to make money and Gleyber Torres is going to make money. So these guys are going to make money. They've already shelled out a hell of a lot of money for Garrett Cole. Uh, you know, LeMay, who was out there, and they have to make a decision with him. And from all accounts, they probably do want to sign him and, they probably can't afford to let him go, you know, at the same time. Um, maybe they try and use Luke Voigt to bring in a pitcher or they use a Miguel Andujar to bring in a pitcher, you know. So those guys could probably get you back some, some, uh, some, um, you know, second, third starter tier, tier type starters. So, uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna have to be a little creative and let's see what they do here. So, you know, no, if they if they non tender Gary Sanchez, no, I mean, this, this shouldn't need to be said, but you'd be surprised. If they non-tender Gary Sanchez and the Yankees need a catcher, no, that they're not signing JT Real Muto. That's not what that means. No, they're so, not going to do that. They might bring in Yadier Molina. They might bring in a Yadier Molina. Uh, you know, that's possible. That's possible. You know what? You know, they, their fear is, their fear is a team like the Rays would want to sign Sanchez. They bring him in. Somebody in their division. Because any you know, one of those teams in that division probably could use a catcher. A guy like Yadier Molina would make sense too, especially – you know, we're, we're talking about this uncertain pitching situation for the Yankees. If you're going to be going into a season with guys like Davey Garcia and Clark Schmidt at the back end of your rotation, wouldn't you want a veteran presence back there to, to, to try to work with these guys? Yeah, good point. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that would be That would, I think, also factor into the decision. If you feel like there's a veteran option out there that's better than what Gary Sanchez is providing you, then I think you make the move. And, and like I said, you, you just can't operate. And this is for all walks of life. This is for any business, not just baseball. You can't be operating, looking at other companies, scared that maybe, you know, someone is going to leave you and be an asset somewhere else. Because if they're a liability for you, that's that's all that matters. If it make if cutting your losses makes your company a little bit better or makes your team a little bit better, then that's the move you got to make. 
can't live in fear of what someone else is going to do, right? No. I mean, no. the Mets, the Mets did it, right? The Mets did it with Travis Darno, and yeah, he went to the Braves, and the Mets looked like doofuses with egg on their face. But you know what? When Travis Darno was wearing a Mets uniform, I know a lot of people cut, give the Mets grief for this, but I defend them. When Travis Darno was in a Mets uniform, he was a liability. So they cut their losses. He went somewhere else. He finally found out that he could be a good ball player, and the Mets looked like idiots. Okay, but when he was on the Mets, he was a liability. So I have no issue. You know, the, the thing I have issue with with the Mets, and this is a different discussion, but the thing I have an issue with is that they tendered him a contract coming off Tommy John surgery and only gave him, you know, a week's worth of games before they cut him. That's what I didn't agree with. But, you know, if someone's a liability, you, you cut your losses. You can't be living in fear of what someone is going to do elsewhere. As long as it's a decision that makes your company or your franchise better, that's the decision you have to make. You got to worry about yourself. Simple. And look, some some guys just go other places and they flourish. You know, they develop in other places. You know, maybe maybe New York wasn't just for Darno. You know, maybe it just wasn't his sort of city. You know, with the media here and everything else. He, look, it wasn't you know, the place was, for Sonny Gray. He went to the Reds. Right. And he, and look he at Sonny found Gray. Himself again. Right. Found himself again after you know he was terrible with the Yankees. So all right, let's move on to the NFL. We got the Giants coming up with a big game, and you know they're not going to have to face uh, Joe Burrow because unfortunately he suffered a horrific knee injury Joe Burrow which was terrible to see you never want to see a young uh um superstar type uh, uh quarterback like that you know well superstar in the making uh suffer an injury like that it was terrible and it goes back to what I tell you Andrew you need to build your offensive line before you even draft these quarterbacks because Joe Burrow was getting absolutely killed in the last couple of weeks in games especially in that Redskin game so, you know, it goes back to what I say all the time. you got to build that offensive line first, man. You can't be drafting a quarterback and have him taking hits the way Burrow was taking hits. It's amazing that that kid lasted this long. So he suffered an ACL tear, an MCL tear, some ligament damage. He's got some work ahead of him. He'll come back from it. He's young enough. He's strong enough. He'll develop himself there, you know, so he'll be okay. But, you know, it's just another, another hit for, for an organization like the Bengals that really have no luck. So the Giants don't have to face him. They'll be facing Ryan Friendly, the backup. And this is a huge game for the Giants because this is a game they're really, really, really expected to win. Absolutely. Really expected to win. It's so, six-point you know, favorite. You, yeah, yes, you have to win this game. You have to win this game, especially if you feel like you, you, know, you have a shot to win this division, and they do. Look, they didn't get it. Any help over the weekend, with the exception of the Eagles losing, and that's a whole nother story. Um, Andy Dalton came back and led Dallas to a big victory over Minnesota, another phony team. And Washington came back in that game against the Bengals when Burrow went out, and they they won up beating the Bengals. So, um, got a bunch of teams up there right now, all within like a half a game of the division lead, and more than likely six wins is going to win that division, like it or not. It's going to get you a home playoff game. Tell you right now. So they might not like it, but you never know what could happen. You know, you're playing with house money like that. So the Giants have a huge game. They changed offensive coaches last week. You know, there was obviously a confrontation between Joe Judge and Mark Colombo. Got blown out of proportion, but there was definitely some tension there. It happens. It's football. It's a business. You move on. Guys don't always get along. It's going to happen. That's it. That's it. The bottom line is the Giants are 28th in rushing. And as much as they're playing better lately, they're 28th in rushing. And they're thirty. They're dead last, actually, in in allowing quarterback pressures. So there's something wrong there. And you've seen Andrew Thomas hasn't really quite developed the way you want to see him develop right now. So maybe a change was in order, and it made the change. They made it over the bye week. 
they'll move on. Doogie Elmo is a guy that uh, Joe Judge has familiarity with in the past. He's also been on some giant staffs here in the past as well. So they'll be fine, the Giants. You know, they'll move on. You know, like you said, they're a six-point favorite. It's a big, big win for the Giants. It's pretty much a must-win for the Giants here. So, um, look, this is – let's see if Daniel Jones can carry over from his last two games where he didn't turn the ball over. Played a clean game. Uh, The Washington game, yeah, he kind of just managed that game. Pretty much, although I thought he played better than people were saying. Uh, and the Eagle game, he was he was terrific, and they actually let him air it out more. So let's see what happened, what he does in a, in, a, in a game where they're expected to win, um, and the Giants cannot be turning the ball over in this game. They're going to have to run the ball, throw the ball, and don't do not leave the Bengals in this game mid fourth quarter. You you need to go out and and put them away, put them away, this put them away, take away their soul. This is something, again, I, I don't think that this should need to be said, but it, it needs to be said, sadly. I hear too many people out there saying that they don't understand why Giants fans are rooting for this team to win the division. They have no chance of going on a run and winning a Super Bowl. They'll get bounced in the first round. They're not a playoff team. They're so far away from being a competitive roster. And, and I'm just going to say this once. I don't understand how you can even have that opinion, okay? Do I think the Giants can win a Super Bowl? No, I don't, okay? But that's not what this is about, okay? We record this podcast once a week, right, Rob? Once a week we're on here. And you've been saying the same thing all season long. You're just looking for progress, right? And what have you been saying about Joe Judge since day one? That he's trying to build a culture, right? Are all those things true? Yes. Okay. There is nothing that builds a culture better than having meaningful games being played down the stretch. You have a team that came into the season that didn't have any expectations surrounding it. You thought that this was going to be a 5-11 and 11 team. They were going to get a pretty good draft pick. You wanted to see some improvement from Daniel Jones. You didn't want to see inept coaching. and those, That was really your blueprint for success coming into this season, right? Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at a Week 17 game against the Dallas Cowboys, which in all likelihood could end up being flexed into Sunday night because it'll be deciding the division winner, okay? So you have a team full of young kids that you didn't have any expectations for that now all of a sudden might be playing in a primetime game on Week 17 as a play-in game to get into the playoffs, and a team, whether they're 6-10, and 10, whether they're 7-9, and nine, whether they're 5-11, and 11, a team that will be in the playoffs, okay? Whether they win the playoff game, whether they go on a run, or whether they get blown out, at least the team is able to be exposed to those kinds of moments, okay? You saw that with the Rangers this year in the postseason. You had a bunch of kids who didn't know what it was like to go into the playoffs. Yes, they got blown out by the Carolina Hurricanes. They were better in every facet of the game, right? But at least this young team that you're building around got exposed to that moment, right? They got some exposure to big playoff moments. That's what you want from this team. It expedites the process of rebuilding a franchise when these young players are, are get accustomed to playing in these moments at a very young age. So there is absolutely no negatives of the Giants competing for this division or making the playoffs. There is no negative, so stop. I, 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 I'm tired of hearing that opinion. I think it's moronic. It's idiotic. You want this team to be playing meaningful games. Your concern would be if they weren't playing meaningful games, if Joe Judge's coaching style could work with an 0-13 team. That was my concern coming into the season. Now I got Giant fans saying that they don't want this team to make the playoffs. Oh, stop it. Come on. 
let's be realists here. I could be a realist and say I don't think this team is going to win a Super Bowl. And I don't think that they are a playoff team. But you are what your record says you are. And the Giants' record has them a half game out of first place. So play this season out. Max effort. Deal with the, the cards that you've been dealt, which is playing in a poor division and being able to compete for a playoff spot. That's it. And let the chips fall where they may. These kids are getting meaningful experience. And again, a team with zero expectations is getting this experience. So this is valuable for every single person on that yeah, team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Look, you know, I, I don't believe in tanking, you know, because I, I don't think that gets you good karma. Now, you look at the New York Rangers three years ago when they sent the letter out that they're going to go into a rebuilding mode. I never rooted for the Rangers to lose. Never. And there was a point where two years ago, the Rangers had a, a, a meaningless game against Pittsburgh, the last game of the year, and it meant more to Pittsburgh the seeding than it did to the Rangers. And the Rangers played a hell of a game and beat the Penguins. I was fired up. And it kind of it kind of took away that many more chances at the ping pong balls that the Rangers had in order to secure a, a top three, four, five pick. And what happened? They had like a 2% chance of moving up from where they were because of the game that they won and they wound up with the second overall pick and got the second best player in the draft. Some said he was the best player in the draft, but Capo Caco. And the same thing last year, last season. The Rangers played their asses off. And before the pandemic hit, when the season had to stop, they were the hottest team in the NHL from January 1st up until mid-March. I think they were 13 or 14 and 5 in 19 games. And look where they wound up. With the number one overall pick, with a generational talent in Lafreniere. So, look, you don't need to tank. Win games. Because all I know is if that game against Dallas is flexed to Sunday night or they play it Sunday afternoon and it means something to win a division, I'm going to be fired up. I ain't sitting there rooting for them to lose so we can get a better pick. Because that pick ain't guaranteed you nothing. Nothing. And and even, even when you are in a position where – you know, you're competing for an, a number one overall pick, let's say. I think as a fan, I, I don't know how you can even root for the team to lose. I would be rooting for them to win, and if they lost, I would at least see the light at the end of the tunnel with the loss. You can't be actively rooting for a team to lose games, especially with the scenario the Giants are in. They have a chance to gain valuable experience with a bunch of young players that they're hoping to build a franchise right. around. It's right. valuable experience. Even if they don't get into the playoffs, these last five games, they are in the mix. That right there is valuable experience in itself. You they think can some lose team out wants and to, it's still meaningful. You think some team wants to come in, want to come, wants to come to Giants Stadium with the Giants as a 6-10 and 10 team that basically everybody had them winning two or three, maybe four games, not going anywhere, not doing nothing. All of a sudden, you see the projection the Giants are doing each week. They're getting better. And that's if they on getting better because listen they could lose to Cincinnati this week and this whole conversation's over you know easily that could happen so I'm just I'm just I'm just saying hypothetically you know you, you don't want to be that team you don't want to be that team ask the New Orleans Saints how they felt when they went to Seattle and Seattle was seven and nine and they beat them so look you know you don't want to play a team that's just playing with house money and, it, and it's vital experience to the Giants. It, it's a great platform for them. First year coach coming in under a pandemic, really hardly any practice time, OTAs. These guys had to learn a system through Zoom, you know, through virtual meetings, and they've been playing their asses off. Entire new coaching 
staff, entire new system Daniel Jones had to learn, and they've been playing their asses off. So you got to give them credit for the effort. But again, they got to win. If they come out and they win this game and they beat the Bengals like they're supposed to, you could feel good about it because this is this is that hump game. It's that hump game. Now look, they're gonna have a couple of losses along the way, probably. Maybe Arizona, maybe Seattle, maybe the Ravens. Who knows? Again, it's progress. Positive progress. You know, it's different for the Cowboys because the Cowboys were expected to maybe make a run here. I mean, listen, they suffered injuries, but their defense was god-awful. They can't run the ball, even with Ezekiel Elliott. So they're on their fourth quarter. Well, they've had they started four quarterbacks. You know, what are you gonna do? You 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 can't you, you know everybody gets injuries. There's nothing you could do. You got to play through them. N- nothing you could do about that. So this is this is a lot of experience for the Giants, and, and and they're getting it. And look, the arrow's pointing up for them. But we'll see what happens after this week. Again, like I said, you come out and you lose to the Bengals. Arrow's pointing down, and everybody's saying, "Well, okay, that's it for the Giants now." And all of a sudden, it looks totally different now. The progress all of a sudden looks like you know went downhill. So we'll see. Well, you know, we we talked about we've talked about the Jets ad nauseum, right? We talked about Sam Donald, we talked about Trevor Lawrence, we talked about Adam Gase, right? So the one thing I'm going to say about the Jets here, Michael P. Ryan, eight carries, Frank Gore, fifteen carries. Oh, don't Look, what get we, me started on. You're going to get me started on Frank Gore again. What are we doing? And Adam well, Gase P- gets asked after the game, and he says, you know, P. Ryan hasn't really showed us enough. Well, Piron did get hurt. They put him on injury reserve today. He sprained his ankle. So, but you know, I, I don't want to hear Frank Gore whining how we can't go. I can't go out on, on my career like this. I, I can't go out. Owen sixteen. You know what? You signed with the Jets. You knew what you're signing up for. You played on garbage team for the last five years. It's enough for him. I, I don't need to see Frank Gore whining about him going Owen sixteen. I could care less. I could care less. You, you might have a Hall of Fame career, whatever. But I, I, I had my rant on Frank Gore a couple of weeks ago. And when I had to hear him come out bitching about how the Jets might go 0-16 and it's a stain on his career, well, this, this is what happens when you sign with the Jets. Because you know what? If you were worth anything, you would have signed with a team that needed you that was a winner, that had a chance. You haven't been on those teams for the last four or five years. So let's stop with the whole Frank Gore thing. Enough of that guy. Oh, my God, please, just right off into the sunset. You had a wonderful career. You're a great guy. But if you want to be a leader and a mentor, then go freaking coach. How's that? Go be a coach somewhere. That's all. Go go coach in college, high school, NFL, whatever. Go coach. That's it. Stop taking a young man's job now. Over. Goodbye. Done. I don't have to hear you whining how they're going to go 0-16. Please, stop. My God. But, you know, and then then you have Adam Gates today basically throwing Flacco under the bus. I don't know if you heard that. How he said they had they had uh, Crowder targeted 15 times where he should have been throwing the ball, and they only threw it to him once. <laughs> you can't make this up with the Jets. And then the, 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 the topper of all toppers was after the game, how, how – the media was asking him, you know, why all of a sudden were you, were you, were you throwing the deep ball in the second half? You weren't doing that in the first half when the Chargers are susceptible to the deep ball. And he goes, well, we were setting them up in the second half. The first half set them up for the second half. Oh, really? So you spent an entire first half setting them up so you could throw the deep ball in the second half. Wow. Wait, great wait great second, job, hold Adam. Hold on. Was that, the, uh, <laughs> was that the same first half where they threw a pick six? Yes. Oh, okay. Just just making sure. 
you know. Yeah. But, but what do I know? I mean, it's unbelievable. So, and you know what? You know, look, I saw this on Twitter yesterday. It's just... And, and I think Jets fans will get a kick out of this. Well, no, they won't get a kick out of this, but I'll just ruffle some feathers with this. For everyone who thinks that it's a foregone conclusion that Adam Gase is going to be fired, I think he will be fired. But the last team to go 0-16 is the Cleveland Browns. They didn't fire Hugh Jackson after that uh, 0-16 season. They brought him back again. Yeah, I know. That, I know. that, was, but... that was ridiculous. But I think they, were, they weren't they bringing in Baker Mayfield right after that, though, and they wanted him with a year of guidance on the Hugh Jackson. But, look, they're firing Adam Gase. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. He's going to get fired. Now, who they hire, you know, everybody's out there talking about uh, Jim Harbaugh. I mean, that, that know, would be even worse. That would be even worse. I, I mean, needs, look, that guy needs to take some time off from football and find a new career. I mean, look, I, I, I don't know. I mean, where is I don't your, have I have I been living under a rock? Where has his success as a head coach, like? Where has it been? Oh, look, he in the San one, Fran, one, he, he, did help, he did in help San out. He, yeah, and he, look, he, he developed Kaepernick, Kaepernick as a quarterback. He certainly developed Alex Smith as a quarterback there as well. He got them to a Super Bowl. So, you know, uh, look, is he a great coach? No, he's not a great coach. He hasn't done much at Michigan. He's going to get another shot in the NFL, whether the Jets give it to him, I don't know. But he's going to get no, another shot in the NFL because I think after this year, he's, he's going to be out of Michigan. I think he's going to be out of Michigan. I mean, bring, I, I, I can't see him staying there. The only positives from the Jets bringing in Jim Harbaugh would be it would make for good radio and good TV. That's about it. Because oh, I, look, I, I don't even I don't even want to get into that. That would just be a monumental mistake. Monumental yeah, probably mistake. so. But that would be the Jets making a monumental mistake. Listen, look, I don't, I, care, I, well, I don't care what he did with Kaepernick. I don't care what he did with Alex Smith. No, the I man is not a good coach. I, I hear he's you. He's a terrible coach. He's terrible. I, I hear you. You asked me what he's done. I just wanted to just pinpoint those two things. That's on his resume. But not that those guys were superstars, but Alex Smith became a, be- a better quarterback under, under Jim Harbaugh, you know. So, but again, doesn't matter. Uh, there's nothing really else out there in the way of a coach. I mean, you're not going to pry Sean Payton away from the Saints. That's not happening. Forget that because I've, I've heard talks about that. I don't see college coaches coming out going to the NFL, especially nowadays. I just don't see it. And if you're a college coach, you'd have to be nuts. Stay in college. You know, you can recruit. You have you have a say in your roster. You're making a gazillion dollars anyway. So stay in college. You know, Dabo Sweeney, any Lincoln Riley, any of these guys, stay in college. Don't be idiots, especially to come to the Jets. Why do you want to come to this organization? You wouldn't want to come here. You wouldn't want to come here. So – you know, uh, move on from the Jets. So, you know, I got I got to say, you know, you, you, you watch that game last night, and boy, oh, boy, Tom Brady does not look good. Doesn't look good. We've, we talked about it in the beginning of the season. when We, we go back and forth on this. We go back and forth on this. And, and we did yeah. not think that they were going to match all the hype. And it didn't look like they were in the beginning of the season. No. And, and then they had a three, four-week stretch where they, their defense looked like it was the best defense in football. And Tom Brady was, was I mean, slinging a ball all around the field. Well, and not against good defenses, weeks, though. Last couple of weeks, he looks terrible. And can we please stop with that narrative about this Tampa Bay defense? The Tampa Bay defense stinks. Stinks. They stink. They stink. They had one fluky game against the Packers and Aaron Rodgers. They stink. The whole yeah. defense stinks. They have, yeah, they're, they have a good run. They're overrated. Defense, but that's they're it. overrated. That's it. They're certainly 
overrated. And I mean, and Brady is. Just think about this for a second, Rob. What did I you you we played a little game last week where you were naming me quarterbacks and and which ones I'd rather have over Daniel Jones, right? And what did I say about Jared Goff? I said I'm not the biggest fan of Jared Goff because he needs a particular set of circumstances to go his way in order to be successful. He needs an effective running game and he needs to be able to use the play action, right? What happened in last night's game? The the Rams rushed for 19 uh, they rushed yeah. 19 times for 33 yards. And guess what? Jared Goff still threw for 376 and three touchdowns well, against that defense won- and they won the game. Against that defense, but that defense had zero sacks. And three, three quarterback pressures. Three. So basically, Jared Goff sat in the, sat in the pocket. Against the offensive line that just lost Andrew Whitworth. That lost Andrew Whitworth. He threw the ball 51 times and completed 39 or 40 passes. He did Goff. I think it was 39. And had his way with them. You look at Tom Brady now. His last four games, he's thrown. They had it where he's thrown 20 passes of 20 yards or more. More and he's 0 for 0 for 19 with an interception. 0 for 19 with an interception. Now he had completions last night. He threw for 215 yards. No good. No good. You have at your disposal Rob Gronkowski, Cameron Bray, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Scotty Miller. You brought in Antonio Brown, who caught eight passes last night. There's no excuses. And I know we have all the Tom Brady excuse makers and apologists. And nobody's trying to put a stain on Tom Brady's career. He's the greatest all-time quarterback ever. Okay? We all know that. We all know that. But let's stop with the whole Tom Brady narrative like he's the Tom Brady of 2012, 13, 14, he's not. He's 43 years old, and father time catches up with everybody. Tom Brady has had a lot of inconsistent games, and Bruce Arians once again threw him under the bus yesterday. So Tampa Bay is now 7-4, and and if they don't find a running game, a consistent running game, you cannot have Tom Brady sit back in a pocket Throwing 40, 45 times a game. It's silly. It makes no sense. He didn't even do that. It makes, he, he didn't do that in New England. In 2012, yeah. He didn't do that in New England. Didn't do it in New England. He didn't do it there. He did not do it there. He should not be throwing a ball for you, especially now at the age of 43 years old. And this is what happens when you bring in all these weapons. This is what happens. What happened to Le'Veon Bell the other day with the Chiefs? You see him carry the ball much? And I said that from the get-go. The guy's got nothing left in the tank. Why the hell you even bring him in? You had a good running back you drafted. Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Kid was running the ball well. Why do you got to bring him Bell? For what reason? Well, we got to add. Same reason why. Why did you have to bring in Antonio Brown? For what reason? What reason? To make Tom Brady throw the ball 45 times a game? He didn't have enough weapons? He's had more weapons in Tampa than he's ever had accumulated in New England, for God's sake. Just get him a running game, a running game. He could play off the play action, hit Gronkowski down the middle, and once in a while hit Evans or Godwin. It's a simple freaking formula. You should be able to figure it out. He doesn't need to throw the ball 40, 45 times a game. You see what's happening when he's throwing the ball downfield. 
He's had no success. Zero success. He was god-awful in that game yesterday. God-awful. He was terrible. He was terrible. Two of the worst interceptions I think I've ever seen Tom Brady throw. And Arians pretty much said that he's getting confused by the defenses. How about that? And Tom Brady himself admitted that to the Giants, a couple of the Giant uh, players after that game, that he was having a problem, you know, dissecting it. So, look, is it a Belichick factor? Yeah. I think those are two guys that just needed each other. I agree. They just needed each other, those two guys. That's it. No one's better than the other. They needed no. each other. Period. I think stop. You're seeing it. You're seeing it right now. It's it's yeah. just yeah, reinforcing absolutely. that point right now. Absolutely. And obviously Belichick has has a has a much less talented roster now in New England. And uh, sure, of course. But they needed both, each both other. Of them, those two guys. Both of them are having their shortcomings now, and you're starting to see that that was the perfect marriage. So yes, it was that, a perfect just, marriage, of course. Well, of we course. spent a lot of time last episode talking about all the big games. Uh, going into week 11. And every single one of them really fit the bill. You had the Thursday night Seahawks and Cardinals, which was another great game. The Seahawks get their revenge on the Cardinals, winning 28-21. And the 1 o'clock games, I mentioned Titans-Ravens. That game goes into overtime. Titans with a big win. Ravens now uh, 6-4 now on the season. Um, Then you had at 4.30 the Packers-Colts, another game that went into overtime, which was a thriller. And then the Sunday night game, which was just incredible for, for multiple reasons. Chiefs win 35-31. Number one, I think we can, uh, or specifically you, I, are you gonna are you gonna revoke all of your Derek Carr slander? Oh, he looked good. He did look good. That's he's been that way for a while. He's taking more shots down the field now than he ever has, but he's showing you that he's capable of doing it. But my number one takeaway from that game was, and it's just it's incredible. You know, I, as sports fans, I think. We, we kind of get numb to greatness at certain points, right? You just expect it to happen. So when it happens, we just brush it off as if it's no big deal. But, I mean, you had Patrick Mahomes who gets the ball with the Chiefs trailing by a field goal. Gets the ball with a minute 43 seconds left. It goes down a field in a, in a minute and 10 seconds and throws a 22-yard touchdown to Travis Kelsey and gives them the lead. I mean— you knew in your heart that Mahomes was going to go down there and score, whether it was going to be a field goal or a touchdown. I thought that he was going to throw for a touchdown and, and they were going to win the game. But, I mean, he goes down there and he does it in a minute and 15 seconds. And, like, it's like it's like it's no big deal. And it was incredible. That's how, that's how incredible of a talent Patrick Mahomes is. A minute and 15 seconds he goes down, makes it look like it was easy. Easy. And they win the game. He's just, he's, he's otherworldly. I don't know how else to oh, describe listen, it. He's, he's, he's a phenomenal talent. I wanted to go back to that Raven-Titan game, though. Because, you know, you're starting to see, you know, the scars on, on Lamar Jackson right now. Oh, yes, he won the MVP last year. But when you look at that Raven team, their defense was terrific. They had a fantastic running game. That also included Lamar Jackson. He was running all over the place. They played from, from, you know, they pretty much had the lead in every single game. Every game last year, he never had to bring him back for the most part. So they were able to bully everybody the way they wanted to. And you're starting to see this year some imperfection in Lamar Jackson's game. Now, I know people love Lamar Jackson. They wax poetic about him, blah, blah, blah. But the bottom line is he's 0-10 when his team has trailed by 10 or more points in any given time of the game. 
yet to bring his team back from a deficit in the second half. So, you know, Lamar Jackson has a lot to prove here because when they needed a big drive against the Titans, when the Titans were storming back, he could not generate it. Now, people want to blame Greg, o or Greg Roman, the offensive coordinator, for not really having a system in place for this. But for God's sake, he was the MVP of the league last year. I mean, look, you're going to have to adapt. And if you can't adapt, let me tell you something. If the Ravens don't make the playoffs this year, hmm. Which, by the way, they got not some decisions position right now as we stand here today. I know. They, look, look, they're not going to get rid of Lamar Jackson. I know that. But they're going to have to fire the offensive coordinator. And they're going to have to somehow play to whatever strengths Lamar Jackson has. And I don't know if it's downfield throwing. I don't no, I know that. They're, they're he can throw to... a beautiful ball 60 yards. He could throw a beautiful ball down, down the field 50, 60 yards. But it, it, the problem is, is to matriculate down the field 10, 12, 15-yard passes, hit a guy, hit a guy, on the run, hit a guy, on the button, bang, 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 10-yard out, 10-yard curling, whatever it may be, hit your tight end, hit a couple, hit your slot receivers. He, he needs to learn to do that. Now, whether or not he can, we don't know. We still don't know. The jury's still out of Lamar Jackson. I know he won the MVP. Everybody, everybody falls in love with that. I get it. I get it. But it doesn't mean he's a perfect quarterback. Not that he's even a perfect quarterback, but right now he's an imperfect quarterback. That's what Lamar Jackson is. Let's face it. We haven't seen um, him with the ability to put together drives when the Ravens have fallen behind. So that's a problem. Now, they're going to fire Greg Roman after this season. There's no doubt they're going to fire him. They're, they're going to fire him. They're going to have to go to a different system, one that could at least maybe uh, give him the ability to learn to throw the ball around the field a little bit more when they have to, as well as use the running game. But, but is, that, is that teachable? I mean, let's be real. I mean, look, he's got talent. He's got talent. Well, that's undeniable, but I just don't know. Put a system in place that maybe – throw an intermediate throw. No, I understand, but he he's not an inaccurate quarterback. I don't think he's inaccurate. I just don't think he, he could adapt to that, that style of play because he's so used to just using his video game sort of athletic ability that when he gets into trouble, he just runs, and that's what he did last year. This year, you're not seeing that. Teams are not allowing him to play that game. You don't see Lamar Jackson running all over the field. Last year, Lamar Jackson used to throw for 160 yards. He used to be 18 of 25 throw for 160 yards, and he used to run for 110. He used to throw for one touchdown in the air and probably run for one or two more. That's what Lamar Jackson did. That's what he did. Now, yeah, well, I think he's got lot, the ability. Last year, too, with Lamar Jackson was red zone efficiency because he did actually throw a lot of touchdowns, but they weren't, you know. They he were, did, but. Know, he's throwing right, touchdowns but, at the five-yard line. He's not, like you said, he's not matriculating the ball downfield and throwing right, for a lot these of yards. Right, but these know, were why? games, these were games where they pretty much let Every single game, the game came easy to him. Now, right. all of a sudden, when he's got to lead a team from behind, it's almost like he's forcing the play. And when he's trailing from behind, but when he's trailing by ten points, he's trying to make a ten-point play instead of just instead of just you know uh, um, just driving the field and getting points. Say you're down ten in the third quarter, settle for the field goal. You know he's trying to make he's trying to make up those ten points in one play all the time, and I think that's the problem. And it's going to take the right coach to help him out there. It's going to take the right offensive coordinator. Well, if they don't make if they don't make the playoffs this year, man, that that's that's a stain on them right now. 
I'm not going to compare him to Ben Roethlisberger because obviously they're, they're two much different quarterbacks. But I think a good example of what you're talking about is what you're seeing with Ben Roethlisberger this year in Pittsburgh. I mean, they have James Conner. They have a good offensive line. They have Benny Snell, which is a good supplemental change of pace back. And their running game is non-existent. They're throwing the ball 45 times a game, which historically over Ben's career is not a recipe for success. But what they're doing is they're using the passing game as a form of the running game with short two, three-yard passes to get the job done. And you're not seeing any of that from Lamar Jackson. When the running game is non-existent, it's just, okay, I'm going to just try to use my freakish ability to try to make something happen. There's no there's no dink and dunk down the field. It's just it's just not there. And like I said before, I don't know if something like that is teachable, you know, and, and that remains to be seen. If someone could teach it, maybe it's someone other than Greg Roman. If it is teachable, you know, that remains to be seen. But, you know, I said this with Jared Goff. I said it with Lamar Jackson, too. I mean, there's a specific set of things that need to happen throughout the course of a game in order for the Ravens to win. And it seems like that formula is to be able to to have the power running game with all three running backs and to supplement the throws every once in a while on top of Lamar Jackson running the ball. And they need to be able to lead and control the clock and control time of possession, go for a deep dot, deep shot down the field when the teams pack the box. Right. But you know, when you're dealt a different set of circumstances, which the Ravens have been dealt a bunch this year, which is, you know, trailing by double digits, trailing by a touchdown late in the game. You don't see that. The only time you're able to see Lamar Jackson matriculate the ball down the field in that type of fashion is at the end of a game when the defense is in prevent, trying to take away the big play. And then you see that the eight-yard pass here and the 15-yard pass, that's the only time you see it. You don't see it throughout the first three quarters of a ball game. That's what you need to see in order to instill faith in me that Lamar Jackson could be a franchise quarterback for the Ravens and lead them to a championship. Until I see that, that I, I, I can't be sold on it. So the jury is very much still out on him, even though he won the MVP. I know he's flashy and all that stuff. But because because not for nothing, Robin, I know he has DeAndre Hopkins in his corner, so it, it makes a big difference there. But, you know, you're seeing that with Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray's able to move the ball down the field with just his arm and not scrambling like crazy at all times. Yes. Yeah, he does yeah. it a fair share. And he's able to make yeah. plays with his legs that really wow you. And he's able to, you know, flip the field with his legs. But if you tell Kyler Murray, hey, lead me on a 12-play drive where you're just throwing intermediate routes all the way down the field, he's able to do it. He could and do that's that. why the Cardinals have been Absolutely. so much and that's the difference. than anybody expected them to be. And and that's why I say I'd rather give me Kyler Murray over Lamar Jackson any day. Yeah. <laughs> any day. I think thing. Kyler Murray's only thing. problem is, is he needs a better coach because Kings that guy's a terrible coach. Yeah, I think he's, he's a terrible think, coach. You know what? I think he's one terrible of those. Coach. He's an example of what I talked about at, a few weeks ago, and I said that, you know, when Sean McVay came into the league and he had this aura about him as being this young, innovative mind, everybody was trying to hire the next Sean McVay, and I think the Cardinals thought that Kingsbury was the next McVay. But, I mean, we've spoken about a bunch of coaching mishaps from Kingsbury on this podcast. I mean, his decision-making at the end of the first uh, Seahawks-Cardinals game that went into overtime, I mean, he's lucky his decisions didn't cost the Cardinals the game. He's not a good coach at all. But, you know, no, I'm glad you coach. brought up what you said about Kyler Murray because, you know, I, I've had this conversation with a bunch of people, and a lot of people just seem to think that I don't like Lamar Jackson because he's on the Ravens and, and I'm a Steelers fan. That's that's not what I think at all. I just don't, you know, I don't see everyday quarterback play from him on a consistent enough basis. I just don't. 
and you need to be able to win. You can't have a, a, a blueprint for success that you have to follow on a weekly basis to be able to succeed. You know, football's, football has more adversity than any other sport. And if you're not able to adapt and bring different things to the table, then you're just not going to have any sustained success in this league. Simple as that. So he needs to learn, and, and he needs to learn quick. Well, they need to get somebody in here to teach him quick if they want to be able to win a championship. Because you know what? They, a lot of these guys who are on young contracts, they need to get paid soon. Lamar needs to get paid soon. I mean, they just paid Marlon Humphrey. A lot of these guys, they just gave a record-setting contract to um, uh, Ronnie Stanley right before he got injured. So, you know, this team, the way it's constructed, you know, the window to win is now. So if he's going to fix it, it's got to be right now. And I tell you, you know, I'm move off, moving off of the, those topics. You go to that Packer Colt game. Let me tell you something. Frank Reich should have been fired the way he ended the clock the other that game. Oh my God! I don't know if you've seen any of it. I, I mean, basic, I, basic. I missed the. Was this in the fourth quarter? Because I missed oh, the fourth God. quarter because I was on my way to my girlfriend's house. So I, I oh, missed the fourth quarter. Oh my God! Oh my God! I mean, dear Lord, all he had to do was just let them use their timeouts. The game was over. I mean, there's there's a minute, there's basically a minute left on the clock, a minute and a half left on the clock. It's first down. They got two timeouts left to Packers. He's got Rivers throwing the ball on the first down. And, of course, incompletion. Second down, run the ball, no yards. Third down, instead, again, just run the ball. Run the ball. They had one timeout left. They had one timeout left. Run the ball. He tries to throw a pass down the field. Incompletion. So now the Packers have their one timeout left. They took about 10 seconds off the clock in that drive where the game should have been in victory formation. I'm saying, what the hell is Frank Wright doing? What was he doing? You could have ran the ball three times and killed the clock. There would have been about eight seconds left. Eight seconds. Horrendous, horrendous, horrendous clock management. I don't know what the hell he was thinking. I don't know what he was thinking. I'm starting to see a narrative pick up steam uh, that the Colts could be Super Bowl contenders. Are you buying into that at all? No, because I don't believe in Phillip Rivers. Yeah, no. I'm he's, play, he's played well. That well, defense is played real. well the last couple of games. Too you know, inconsistent of a running game, too. Yeah, I, it's not even so much that to me. It's more Rivers than anything. I, I just don't believe in Rivers. I, I just don't. I mean, their defense has played well. They played well. But look, they're, they're not beating the Steelers, and they're certainly not beating the Chiefs. And what's crazy is that the Chiefs could be 15-1 and one and they don't have a bye. They won't get a bye this yeah, season because only, I, only the, the number one team gets the bye. Yeah. So they'd have to win three games to go to the Super Bowl. Yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy. 15-1, you know, they won't get a bye. Another thing that I think um, is interesting about this this playoff, and I didn't even think about it until I was watching SportsCenter last night, and Scott Van Pelt brought it up to Lewis Riddick and Brian Greasy after the Monday night game. He, he said, you know, thinking about the way the playoff picture is lining up right now and, and taking into account that a lot of these places don't have fans in them, you know, how much does home field advantage really mean in this postseason? And, well, you know, going I, into Arrowhead doesn't seem like that that daunting of a task going into the Superdome doesn't seem like that daunting of a task anymore. So I think these playoffs are just extremely up in the air. Well, nobody knows what's going to happen by that time. I mean, in the next few months, maybe there's more fans in the stands. Who knows? We don't know that. Maybe they allow more fans in the stands. You know, 
I'm hoping that if the Giants somehow miraculously get a playoff game, hopefully maybe Jersey will decide to let some people in the stands, 5,000, 10,000 people maybe, you know. But, I mean, look, that's hypothetical, but I'm just saying. So, well, look, if you know, you're talking you know about what, the yeah. Giants getting into the playoffs, by the way, you're going to be super locked into this Thanksgiving game between Washington and Dallas. Well, look, it doesn't matter because either way, somebody's coming out with a loss. But you know, you, I'd rather I see think, Washington win the game because I think Dallas would be the better team, especially with Dalton back. Not that Dalton's right. great, but he's better than what they've been playing. And look. And you have the tiebreaker over talk Washington about, with two head-to-head victories against them. Right. We have the tiebreaker being higher over in the standings them. works out better for the Giants. Right, right. But look, I mean, here's the bottom line. You, you can't stop playing these games now. Just go out and win your games. The Giants need to go out and win their games, not look at what Dallas is doing, Washington's doing. Just take care of your own business and let the chips fall where they may. That's why, you know, I, I tell you, you know what I thought about? I was thinking about it today. I said, what? Because we put in one of my fantasy leagues, the kids, the guy sets it up where they do position weeks. What if the NFL did position weeks, like the last two, three weeks of the season? Maybe the last two weeks, you do a position week. Meaning what? So in other words, one plays two, three plays four, five plays six, as far as seeding. So if the season was week 15, right, you, you, you determine the seeding. The number one team would play the number two team at that point in that given week. The number three team would play the number four team in that given week. The number five team would play the number six team in that given week. I don't think I'm really catching on to what the point of that would be, though. It just makes it interesting that you'd be playing teams that, you know, you were in contention with for that playoff spot. Oh, just to see more fluctuation of the standings at the end of a season. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah, you know. So now, now you're playing. Now you're playing the team that's right next to you. So now maybe, maybe the seven and the eight seeds, right at that time on that given week, the seven eight seed has a shot to maybe move up with a win if they play against each other. It's a head to head matchup. That's what it comes down to. Right. I see. And look, what you it'll mean. look. It'll never happen. But it just you know, I was just thinking about it. I said, wow, what if they had head to head matchups in the last couple of weeks in the NFL? You know, interesting. Interesting that would be because look yeah. at it. Look, look at the Chiefs and Steelers. What if they? What if they played one? One plays two. Now you're playing for the overall buy. Right. Steelers are sixteen and zero. The Chiefs are fifteen and one. Right. Right. You know, I. It's weird. I don't want them to go sixteen and zero. I really don't. Well, I just feel like if you're sixteen and zero, one one, you you do for a loss, and two, you know, at the end of the season. I, I just I think that they're gonna they're gonna pack it in if they have everything locked up. I really do. Um, Always a mistake. You, you Always saw, a mistake. You saw how brutal it was last year not having the quarterback. So, you know, think about it. They'd be playing the Cleveland Browns in Week 17. Who, judging by what the standings look like right now, the Browns are gonna have something to be playing for in Week 17. So they're gonna be coming out guns blazing. I would just hate hate to have something happen, you know, shooting for 16 and 0. I mean, if you want to play, you know, cuz I get if you have the bye, you don't want to have two straight weeks of not having your 38-year-old quarterback you playing with any game reps. So, you know, play in the first half, but I I don't want to see them going all out for 16 and 0 because it's meaningless. 
we've seen in the past. It's me. I mean, the Patriots 16 0 season it was meaningless. It didn't mean anything. They lost when it, when it mattered most of the, in the Super Bowl. So it didn't really mean anything. And then also, just for superstitious reasons, like I said, I feel like if they're 16 0 going into the postseason, they're going to be due for a loss. You know, I think you got two potential losses on your schedule coming up. Um, well, you got, uh, I'm going to try to guess looking at the Pittsburgh schedule. Well, I think Baltimore is a potential loss because even no, even I don't think Dobbins that's. Ingram, I think it's a potential. I don't loss think that's a potential. I'm not even counting that one because it's a short week. They got that whole COVID situation going on. I think the Ravens right now are just floundering right now, and I think the Steelers get a victory on that game. I'm looking at the Bills on December 13th at Bills. I could see that that game maybe being their first loss, and I'm looking at December 27th against the Colts, which that game is in Pittsburgh. Yeah, no, I don't think the Colts have a chance in hell at beating them. The Bills, I no. understand. The Colts, I don't think, have a chance. At, and usually, I'm always the one who's always saying, like, the Steelers aren't going to cover the spread. This is going to be a close game. I just... Uh, no, you've got a Sunday night Colts. game. Okay. you got a Sunday... Neither am I too much either, believe me, like I said. But just saying because they're a good team that's left on your schedule that, that have a potential to maybe win a game. But I, I think that Sunday night game against the Bills in Buffalo might be the game. Listen, that like I said, I, I prefer if they didn't go 16-0. and 0, So, to be honest with you, if that's their first loss, that's fine with me. Because at that point, they, they would have the division already locked up, and it would just be a matter of that one seed. And I haven't even looked into, you know, obviously it's early, but I don't even know if they would currently have the tiebreaker over Kansas City if they both had the same record. I, I don't know. Yeah, um, I don't even think you worry about that right now. Like, I, that's why I say just, just win the games. You know, win the game. So... You got now, you know, we got the Thanksgiving Day games coming up, which is always a great day because we get three games and hopefully with no postponement, we get the uh, we get the last game of the, of the night would be the Ravens at Steelers. But before that, you got Texans at Lions, which is really just two teams that are going nowhere with each other. And the Lions really just embarrassed themselves last week as they get shut out by Carolina 27th and nothing. I mean, that's just embarrassing. And it looks like Matt Patrice should probably – go back to sharpening his pencil behind his ear because he's not going to be long to be the Detroit Lion coach. That's for sure. Yeah, uh, no, Texans uh, are another team. They're playing a little bit better since the firing O'Brien. You know, we go, as we mentioned before, the, the Washington football team against the Dallas Cowboys, that's a game up for the division right there. So that's a big game for those two teams. And then uh, obviously that night game at 820, we have the Ravens playing the Steelers. And the Ravens, as we've talked about, we've said it earlier, you know, they're floundering right now, and the Steelers are on their game. So um, I think the Ravens will give them a game, but I think ultimately the Steelers are going to win this game. I don't see the Steelers losing this game, to be honest with you. I just don't. I don't know. I mean, look, it's desperation time for the Ravens, though. And a lot of times you like to look at the desperate team, but the Steelers team just looks terrific right now. So, I mean, look, I could understand if they had Ingram and Dobbins there. You know, you have the three-headed monster, the running game, because the Steelers – Look like you know that they are missing Devin Bush. You know you see more and more as the games go on, and now you just really have Gus Edwards there, pretty much uh, carrying the ball for the Ravens that night. So um, the rest of the games we mentioned, you know, Titans Colts should be a good game. That's a big game. Yeah, Titans Colts at one, and then Chiefs Bucks at four thirty. Everything besides that doesn't really seem. Titans right. showed you a lot in that comeback win against the Ravens. I tell you, they showed you a lot. Yeah, they did because they had a couple weeks in a row where they didn't really, they didn't really look good. The Titans and and we spoke about it last episode about how ever since um, ever since they lost Taylor Luan, um, 
that their running game yeah, was not the same. They suffered a little bit. But, you know, their running game was good against the stout Ravens defense, and they were able to come from behind and, and win that game on the road to kind of keep pace in a crowded well, – it's a crowded AFC wildcard picture right now. really is. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I, I want to get to a point, but I just want to say, yeah, they got we got Mahomes and, and Brady. You got the Chiefs at, at Tampa at 425, so that should be an interesting matchup. By the way, Everybody before you get to your point, game. before you get to your point, am I crazy for thinking that Chiefs three and a half is an absolute lock? I know. Well, I'm sure that line will go up before we know it, though. I'm sure that line will go up. It's probably because, you know, Tampa just came off a, a game last night. So I guess we'll, I would have to think by the time, if that line doesn't go to five, then something's going on. I mean, to be honest with you. I mean, that line should be around about six or seven right now at this point. That's what but, that's what I would think. Um, I want to get to a point on what happened with, with Tua, and I'm not even going to attempt to say his last name. Tabby, I can't even – I'm not even going to say it. Tua. Everybody knows. Everybody knows who I'm talking about, so I'm just going to say Tua. You know, he got pulled from that game the other day against Denver, in Denver. And I understand he wasn't playing well. But, you know, you – put this kid in for a reason. You were playing well with Fitzpatrick there, but you wanted to give, you know, Tua, um, you want to pretty much let him take over the reins. So good or bad, you had a shot at still winning the division with Fitzpatrick at quarterback. So why would you pull Tua out of that game the other day? And I understand he was not playing well. Wasn't playing well. They pulled him out in the fourth quarter. Why? Because, all right, well, we have a shot at the division. Well, if you're so worried about the division, then why don't you just leave Fitzpatrick in from the get-go? And why bench him to put Tua in when your team was playing well? And I know they got a couple of wins recently, the Dolphins, but if you look at those games, those those wins were dictated by touchdowns by the, by the, by the defense and the special teams. wasn't anything much the offense was doing. So now you put Tua in the game, let him fight through it. This kid's gonna have to—he's gonna have to fight through some certain challenges in his career. He let him fight done, through it. He hasn't done much besides play mistake-free football by not turning right. the ball over, but that's about it. Right. But if you're gonna be so concerned about winning this game, and the reason why you put him in, in Fitzpatrick is because, well, we still have a shot at the division. Okay, then then why put Tua in the first place when you were playing your best football? When you took Fitzpatrick out, uh, you know, you can't have it both ways. You can't just keep on yanking this kid out of a game then. You needed to, you needed to go with Tua with the inclination that you were absolutely certain that you would not be going back. Right. You need to fully hand the reins to him. And I said the same thing when uh, Chicago made the decision to bench Trubisky and go to Foles. So you have to be absolutely sure that Foles is going to be the guy for the rest of the season and there's not going to be a controversy moving forward. And, and I'm, I'll tell you something right now. If Trubisky was healthy, which he's not, but if he was healthy, there would be a controversy in Chicago right now because Nick Foles has been brutal. Well, I don't think there'd be a controversy. I think he would have been – I think Foles would have been taken out of that game last week um, against the Vikings. I think they would have put Trubisky in at the half. There's no doubt because Foles has been terrible. But, you know – so so now here's the scenario for Tua. So now they're playing the Jets. What if the kid's not playing well against the Jets come halftime? You know, 
This kid's going to be looking over his shoulder. Yeah, what are you going to pull him out again? You're going to pull him out again? I mean, to me, look, you were down in that game when you pulled him against Denver. He obviously was not playing well. He was getting beat up a little bit. I get it. But the game was, was, was you know, the game was 20 to 10 when you pulled him out. It was 20 to 10. Let him fight through the challenges. You know See what they what should got? have done? They should have started him from the get-go because there it's a it's it's a lot more understandable if you start Tua from the beginning and then bench him for Fitzpatrick rather than starting with Fitzpatrick, going to Tua, and then going back to Fitzpatrick again. That creates a lot of questions. If you would have just started with Tua from the beginning of the season and then he was benched for ineffectiveness, all right, you know, take a seat back. He's still got room to grow. And it's really not a, a, a huge deal. But now it's like it's like a circus at this point because you're exactly right. What happens on Sunday if he's not moving the ball? Right. Or, or do, you, do, you make, do you make the decision to put Fitzpatrick in again? And then now, if two weeks in a row right. you put Fitzpat, you have to put Fitzpatrick in, then all of a sudden two of his starting exactly. job is in question. Exactly. And then all of a sudden, you know, who starts the next week? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's nonsense. Then you almost have to start Fitzpatrick the next week. Because if you're pulling right. this kid out two games in a row, you pull him out two of the last three games. Now you're saying, all right, we're going to have to put Fitzpatrick back in. Because if you want to make the playoffs or you want to have a shot at the division, then just leave Fitzpatrick in and worry about two next year. So you can't have it both ways. You, you can't have it both ways here. It's one or the other. There's no flip-flopping it. There's no flip-flopping because then this kid's going to be looking over his shoulder. And then how is he going to learn to fight through a game? How is he going to learn to maybe come out in the second half and play better maybe? Because, listen, you, you never know what a quarterback sometimes. They'll just turn it on. All of a sudden, the light bulb goes on. Boom. And it's not like he's got a ton of weapons there either. I mean, look, Fitzpatrick was playing well there, but, you know, Miles Gaskin was running the ball. He's been out. Uh, they had Preston Williams there. He's been out. You know, you basically your only receiver is Devontae Parker and a bunch of journeymen after that. You know, you, you, you got Jacecki uh, uh, there, but they don't use him a lot. I mean, your, your running game is okay, but it's it's just journeymen back there. Breed has been hurt. Uh, Shahid is there. I mean, Shahid, what's his name? Uh, Ahmed Salav or whatever the hell is it? Uh, Ahmad, Ahmad. Salav yeah, Ahmad. Uh, guy's running the ball now. I have no idea. Something like that. I don't even know where he came from. They released Jordan Howard. So, you know, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, put it this way. Their rushing attack last week against Denver, Ahmad was first. He had 43 yards rushing. Second was Ryan Fitzpatrick <laughs> with six yards. Yeah. <laughs> and Breeder, Breeder ran the ball twice for four yards. I don't even know why they don't use Breed. I mean, I know Breed has been hurt recently, but even from the get-go, they haven't used Breed. You know, they traded from from San Francisco, but they never used him. So, well, that's neither here nor there. But uh, so yeah, so I just want to get that point out there. And then, you know, you have the uh, the Sunday night game is going to be a disaster because you got the Bears playing the Packers, and Aaron Rodgers coming off a loss is just going to obliterate the Bears because they have absolutely no offense. It's almost embarrassing right now. It's pretty much embarrassing, the Bears offense. They've set an offense. They've set an NFL offense back about 50 years. And I don't even know if Foles is starting in that game. Yeah, I haven't heard an official word yet. I mean, you, I, it sounds strange to say with how inept they've been offensively with him playing quarterback. But if you watch the, the last three or four plays of that um, Monday night game last week against the Vikings – I don't think you want that kid Bray anywhere near the field. 
because he no. only played for four plays, but you could tell that he does not no. belong in the NFL. It, it was mean, it was like it was like watching Danucci all over again. Oh, it was horrendous. I mean, so you're probably praying for Foles, even as bad as he's been. And then, and then another another game on Monday night, you got the Seahawks and Eagles, and I tell you what, I was just going to bring that up. It, am I crazy for saying that the Eagles have a diff, uh, have Jalen Hurts starting a quarterback in Week 13 if Wentz doesn't win this game? Well, Peterson said there's no way that's going to happen. But let me tell you something. Carson Peterson, Wentz, who's Peterson been... is lying through his teeth. I'm telling you right now, he's lying Car- through his teeth. Carson, Carson Wentz has been the worst quarterback in oh football. Oh, my God. Yet. That game that he played against Cleveland was got His decision-making, I, I don't know where his head was at. I mean, it was just god-awful. It really was god-awful. I don't know where his head was at. I mean, he took a safety in the end zone that could have easily got rid of the ball. He had a misread on a guy that was wide open down the sidelines. He just chucked the ball up to the middle of the field to a receiver that was double teamed in the end zone. I mean, it was just god awful. And Wentz has been like this. I don't know what ever happened to him. I tell you, he took I mean, the I understand. lead by storm when he first came in. Yeah, I mean, ever since he got hurt when they went to the Super Bowl and Foles won it right after that, his play just well, although he played well coming back that following season uh, until he got hurt again, but. I don't know what it is. I mean, I understand he doesn't have weapons, but it's he's got people. He's got bodies there. I mean, they're not telling. Fulgham's played well for him. You know? I mean, I understand he was missing Ertz and Goddard. Uh, Sanders came back. He was hurt. But, I mean, look, he shouldn't be this bad, though. Even still, he shouldn't be this bad. No, he, he has been horrendous. He's been around this, so that, that team is not is not that bad. I really don't think they're that bad. I think it it falls on his shoulders. Yeah, certainly for sure. So, and all right. Well, Stitt listen, isn't really, another overrated coach, by the way, very overrated. Well, listen, he's he won a Super Bowl. Bad. This is his, if they don't make the playoffs this year, if they don't win the division, I think he's going to get fired. And and <laughs> don't be surprised the interviews with the Jets. Oh God, of course. And and if he doesn't, if he doesn't, he might be an offensive coordinator over there at the Ravens. He's got a history with Harbaugh. Yeah. Yeah. If he doesn't get a head coaching job. I think he's gone. I don't see a chance that he's in Philadelphia next season. I mean, I just I just how how can you? And believe me, I mean I'm well in tune with the Philadelphia fan base from going to college in Pennsylvania. It's a lot of my friends are Eagles fans. I mean they are they are fed up. They're fed up with both of them, Wentz and Peterson. And they're fed up with the GM Roseman too. Fed up with all of them. Yeah, I can understand. So all right, listen, we'll wrap it up. We've covered a lot. Yeah. Big So I just want to wish you uh, Oh, yep. You go ahead. You go ahead first. No, you go ahead. You say it. Okay. Well I was you're, you're say the host of this uh, show. You do. Uh, well, stop. We're co-hosts. Come on. Don't talk me up like that. I'm not that big of a deal. Yeah, what? you are. In my eyes, you are. <laughs> well, thank you. That's very nice of you. Uh, what I was going to say was uh, college basketball starts tomorrow. And yes. normally I would be ecstatic because I'm a big, big college hoops guy. March Madness, my favorite time of the year. Um but, I mean, there is just – I'm just being a realist. I know people are probably tired of hearing about this virus. There is a 0.0% chance that they get this season done. I mean, no, they, they have a protocol difficult. in place. They have a protocol in place where if somebody tests positive, the team – the whole team shut down for two weeks. They're not in a bubble. People are going to contract the virus. 
you're gonna shut teams down for two weeks. You're not gonna. What are you gonna have teams in March Madness that have only played five games? How the hell are you gonna get this done? Yeah. What they what they should have done was just moved it to a spring sport, right? And I think Rick Pitino brought it up. Have have it have May Madness. I mean, what's the difference? Yeah, you'll be competing with the NBA. You're not gonna be competing with everyone if you're not able to play. They should have waited until the new year when the vaccines see if they have a little bit more clarity and right. move it to a spring sport. And that's it. So I agree. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm normally ecstatic when bas- college basketball season comes around because I love it. I love the college basketball game more than I like the pros. And I'm just, I'm extremely skeptical, but, you know, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. We'll see what happens. I mean, we got a full well, slate of games that are, that are getting ready to start tomorrow all day long. But, I mean, there's already been close to 30 cancellations already on games that were scheduled for tomorrow. It's a, it's a, it's a disaster already. Somehow they move on though, with these games, they did it in the NFL. They, you know, NFL is, it's getting worse right now with all the COVID testing. And look, guys are getting tested every single day. Certain, certain guys are false positives. Most guys are, you know, they're healthy after a few days, thank God. So, you know, it well, hasn't affected my hope for college basketball. A lot of these college campuses are sending students home for Thanksgiving break and normally you get the you know four or five day break and you go back to Monday or Tuesday after Thanksgiving. I mean that's what I did. That's what a majority of colleges do. A lot of them now are just extending Thanksgiving break all the way through the new year, and they're not scheduled to come back until about February, um, because of the fact that a second wave is happening right now, and they want kids to just stay home and not come back on campus and be traveling from state to state. They just think it's a disaster. So these basketball players are going to be on campus pretty much by themselves and, and with any other athletes. So as long as they're responsible and take proper precautions, that my hope is that they could be able to get well, that's this thing the done. Pro- that's the problem. You don't know if they will be, though. Right. They're young kids. Exactly. They're young kids, and, and, and they feel like they're, they're not invincible. under any sort of uh, financial contracts here. Uh, well, no, it's legally, not even that. The young kids. Paid, so how do you even legislate it? You know, They're young kids, and they feel like they're invincible. So they're going right. to go out and have a party or you know hang out with their friends. So it, it, that's what's happening, and that's what's going to happen. You've seen it in college football. There's a ton of COVIDs in college football. But you know what? They're still playing games. They're getting whatever games they can possibly get in, they're getting. And that's what college basketball is going to do. It, it, you know, if they only have to play 10, 12 games, and that's what they'll do. They're not going to play 20, 25 games, 28 games. So they'll do whatever they got to do just to get in some sort of a season and get into, and get into, into March Madness, and hopefully by then – Things are clearing up a little bit more with a vaccine and everything, and maybe we start seeing a little sense of normalcy. And from all accounts, they're going to have the uh, March Madness in a bubble, which is a smart thing to do, regardless of what's going on. Because even with the vaccines and stuff, we don't still don't know what's going to be happening by March. So, well, listen, we'll wrap it up. We covered a lot here. I just uh, want to wish you and your family and everybody else out there, all the listeners, a happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Yes. Um, stay safe. Uh, so we could say, just do your due diligence. You know, I mean, like Andrew said, we're getting a second wave here, but nobody panic. You know, if you do the right thing and wear your mask and uh, be diligent, wash your hands and sanitize, you know, that's all you could do. That's it. You know, just don't panic and enjoy your family. Enjoy football. We got football all, all day on Thanksgiving day. Enjoy the eats, enjoy the Turkey, whatever else you eat there. So just enjoy everybody. Well, if you're feeling pumped, for uh, college basketball season, Rob, East Tennessee State and Abilene Christian, 11 a.m. tomorrow. Yeah, that's got, my, that's, it or no? that's got my blood boiling. <laughs> <laughs>
I might wake up and watch it. I don't know. <laughs> By the way, before we wrap it up, I, I'm not sure if you, um, if you recorded it. I have it on the DVR. Apparently, Steve Cohen had an hour-long sit-down with Steve Gelbs. I thought that um, was – was that tonight or tomorrow night? Um, oh, it's, I think that's you know, I'm it's think, tomorrow I'm night. Thinking, I'm thinking it's Wednesday because we normally record on Wednesday. Yeah, it's Tuesday, no, no, so it's, that's tomorrow night. Yeah, yeah, it's tomorrow night he's doing that. He's doing an hour long with Steve Gelbs. Look, I don't know what he's going to say. He's probably going to say, say the same thing he said a couple of weeks ago when he had that uh, when he had that Zoom call with the media and everybody. So how, how much is he going to say? How much is he going to divulge? I mean, you know what? He got me so happy during his press conference that I'm going to tune in just so he makes me more happy. Oh, listen, I, I got it taped already. You know, I got it taped. I already taped it ahead of time when I found out that uh, he's going to be doing this one-on-one -on -one with Gelb. So it'll be fun. It'll be it'll be good to look at. Look at All right. Watch. As always, you can uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Andrew May underscore 21 is a Twitter handle. That's at Andrew May underscore 21. Oh, and, and by the way, and by the way, me too. Yes. I was just about to say, you can. You want to give your Twitter handle out to everybody, Rob? Rob is on Twitter, Monumental Time. Let's actually Monumental at RoboG6. Spell that out one more time for the people back home. At RoboG6. There you go. You can follow him. And uh, have you, see, I followed you, but I have you tweeted yet? I haven't seen any tweets. I one thing about the Knicks and that was it. I still I'm still learning the damn thing. I have no idea. <laughs> I put one nice thing day. out there about the Knicks and that was it. <laughs> All right. So I just went on Rob's profile his first tweet four days ago. Go ahead. And it, what and it is I'll I'll read it out loud. It says yeah, go ahead. my first tweet. And do I really need to say how awful it is to be a Knicks fan? I hope better days are ahead. <laughs> Ain't that the damn truth? Oh, and then he's got a second tweet here. Um, so the Knicks tweeted out a video saying this is going to be fun, and someone comments. That's my, says, how can it that's my friend. My friend Chad commented. Yeah. Oh, okay. So his friend Chad says, how can a 32 win season be fun? And Rob chimes in and he says, 20 to 21 wins. <laughs> Man, you're really feeling good about this. Knicks, yeah. this in Knicks 2021. Yeah. Oh, God. Hey, just this being is... realistic. All right. Well, you can follow Rob, Rob OG, Rob, Rob, Rob OG six yes. on Twitter. And you can follow at, me. At Rob Rob OG six on, yeah. You can follow so, me on Instagram, a underscore May 21. Um, we're recording on Tuesday. It'll be up by Wednesday. Um, who knows, you know, like we said this last week, we said it the week before, but I mean, you know, hopefully we get some more clarity on the Mets and their, uh, general manager search. And then we get the ball rolling in free agency. I kind of have a feeling that once one team makes a big signing, I think the dominoes will just start falling. Um, and I think you'll see a lot more signings once guys are non-tendered. So we should have a lot of things. Yeah. The non-tendered is December 2nd, but you're not going to see much going on now with the Thanksgiving holidays coming up. Uh, you're probably not going to see much action going on. Um, I, I would probably think that after, like you said, the non-tend is December 2nd, which is what? Was that a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something like that? Next Tuesday or Wednesday, I think that is December 2nd. So probably uh, yeah, see a little bit. Yep. You'll probably start seeing some movement towards the end of uh, next week. I, I don't think you're going to see anything coming up this week with Thanksgiving holiday. So. Yep. And then obviously, hopefully more clarity on the NHL and their direction to start their season, too. So a lot of things to look forward to. And uh, you can hear it right here at Four Score the Podcast. So thanks, everybody, for listening, continuing to support. We'll be back next week. For Rob Jufre, I'm Andrew May. Thanks again. And we will see you next time.